2: Just go do it badly. At well, least you you're gonna I mean? fucking do it. Just get get out there and do it badly, and keep showing up and keep doing it badly, and it'll gradually get better.
1: I, or, or I would, I would even like revise that statement to just like go out and do it right like, right. like, like who gives a fuck like the, the barometer of whether or not it's bad it might just
3: happen weird. that you do it well the first time around yeah, yeah.
1: well but this is <laughs> you might find some aptitude i mean
2: not in this case not right. in my case yeah.
3: pretty much ever but <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well the thing the thing that i like about the idea of do it badly is it takes the pressure off at the onset like there's there i can't even remember who the author is but somebody asked him how he write uh, wrote so many books and he was just like he was like a thousand shitty words a day yeah you know <laughs> you just show up and you just go do it and most days it's terrible
3: but some days it's really 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 good yeah, learn well, learn by doing uh, fake right. it till you make it whatever well, that, yeah
1: that that whole iterative process of doing some shit over and over and over again eventually you're going to develop some some decent skill at You're at inevitably going to get yeah, better. Like yeah. But you can't just waltz into most things and be like, like, of course I'm great at this. Right, blech, right, right, blech. right.
2: <laughs> so like with like with the example of this podcast and you're talking about You know, where most interview or many interviews are where like somebody just kind of like stick something in your face, you know, it sticks a recorder in your face and that's it. And it's, you know, when we first started doing this, it was me and Tony with an iPhone in the middle, a broken iPhone in the middle of the room. You know what I mean? And it sounded terrible and only a couple of people listened, but it was fun and it was funny. And we're like trying out ideas. We did sketches and all kinds (laughs) of, you know, we would just try things. You know, some episodes would turn out better than others, some show, you know, and then you you keep showing up and somebody goes, hey, I really like the show, I'd love to help, and you get... A producer, and you know, you get Gordo interested, and Gordo starts making it sound good, and then you start having guests, and you you start experimenting with live streaming. Like, in 2020, we're going to probably be live streaming every episode on, sick, on YouTube. This is episode number 85 of the motherfucking podcast. 85. Welcome to the show. This is, of course, the official podcast of the International Power Rock Combo, <laughs> motherfucking ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. The Rad in Colorado and the Rad certainly in ineradicable. <laughs> I'm your host, Aaron Howell. Logan will be showing up later and in the booth as always.
3: I'm Gorda behind the glass. Thank you.
2: Yeah, man, and I'm uh, I'm stoked for uh, our guest today. Not only because his last name sounds like the uh, bad guy in a low budget dystopian sci-fi film but also because he's an incredible musician uh super insightful dude and someone that i've had a lot of really great conversations with in passing but we've never actually been able to like sit down and like like have a talk it's always like running into each other at a at at a show or something like that and having 10 minutes of really like Oh, man i don't even know how to like it, like very philosophical conversation is usually the, the 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 place places that it's gone when we have run into each other and it's it's cool to actually sit down and like have a one on one conversation with you and i'm looking forward to it please welcome to the show from the band in the company of serpents
1: and are you playing with anybody else right now? Or are you just doing in the company of serpents that's pretty much it man that's that's, it. that's that's the bandwidth i've got is uh I find that creatively i'm good for like one Central focus, right? And just pour everything into that. Right?
2: No, for sure. Yeah. And it, they, I, I am a firm believer in the whole chase two rabbits, catch none idea. And, and you have put your heart and soul into in the company of serpents. Please welcome to the show, Grant. Netzorg. Am I saying that right? You got it. It's uh, It's Netzorg. Yeah. Like I just is like I am Netzorg. <laughs> I control this domain. <laughs> this encampment is my dominion,
1: Mad Max.
3: Do you have a do you have a lock on Netsorg.com? Nets, uh, Netsorg
1: I dot Netsorg? <laughs> No, and by the time I get out of this room, I'm, I'm sure it's like by the time you broadcast this, somebody's like somebody's just going to be camping the domain. We'll hold off. Just, we'll yeah. hold off until you
3: grab it, and then we'll put out the other. Yeah,
1: I should. I've I've been told that. I've I've gotten like dystopian, cyberpunk, or like weird, like off-brand software. Um, <laughs> is like is the one that I get a lot, or just robot. Like, look, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you can't
2: afford. If you can't afford a really nice computer, all right, there's this company, they're
1: kind of a smaller startup, they're called NetSorg. (laughs) You just plug this flash disk into any old piece of shit and like it'll take it's got its own OS, man. It it, takes over. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) The new internet by Netzorg. Uh, what, by the way, what I was trying to think of that, like, what is the, what is the origin of Netzorg? Like, where is that
1: from? I, you know, I'm, I'm woefully ill-informed in terms of like my ancestral lineage. Um, it's kind of a, one of those. Willfully uninformed? Um, no, not willfully. I would, I would actually really like to engage. Oh, you said wo- woefully. Woefully, woefully. Woefully, not I would, woefully, I would love to engage further with, with more ancestral work and knowledge, you know, just from an esoteric perspective and just, right. just for personal knowledge. But Esoteric. It, That's
2: the word I was looking for earlier. Esoteric <laughs> conversation. Yeah.
1: Um, from what I understand from uh, my one uncle who's actually gone into our, our family tree in a bit greater depth, the name itself is Lithuanian. But we're, okay. we're, we're something uh, like a, I'm evidently like a, a mishmash of uh, a multitude of different parts of, of Europe from what I can discern. But with, with none of them being any, any particular prominent uh, influence.
2: I think it's – I recommend doing the ancestry thing. Just, I'm, I'm, for fun,
1: I want to do is. it. Just I want to do it the old school way, where you like you find somebody who's just really into lineage and they track it all down. I I have my own um, aversion to the idea of just being like, hey, Sending faceless your conglomerate, t- take my DNA. There's <laughs> there's nothing pernicious you can do with that. Like, oh, oh, thank you, faceless corporation. Like, I like know. since since we're in our dystopian future, that that. <laughs> we've all landed on where, with our corporate overlords just the idea of being like yeah go ahead and just map my genome it all company. began yeah.
2: it all <laughs> began when netzorg rebelled against ancestry.com
1: <laughs> and he looked up the mormons yeah. for they have been keeping the family trees for ages no. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean
2: i i thought it was i thought it was super fun and like but, but here's the thing is and i was telling i was talking to a buddy of mine when i was um, because I trim for a little extra money here and there. And I was talking to one of my buddies at the trim and I was telling him that like I went into it kind of with the hopes that I would find some very fascinating uh, evidence of of my my lineage. Like, like I would find out something exotic that I had no idea existed or I would find, because I was always told growing up, which I think, I think a lot of white kids grow up th- with some lie that someone in their family tells them that they're like Cherokee in some way. Like Tay, who used to be in our band, used to joke about like there was a, because j- he's he's all, like half um, Southern Ute. So he's uh, he used to joke that like on the res, they would have jokes about white people who would claim that they had Native ancestry and they'd be like like, oh he must be part Cherokee like that was part of the joke (laughs) because that's a common thing that happens I guess in in white families. I didn't know that but I had heard that growing up So I was kind of like hoping to see uh, To see evidence of that and when I got back my DNA report all it did was confirm how Super white I was (laughs) it was like it was like something like 80% british And then, like, a little Irish, a little Norwegian, a little German, and that's it. I then started to look into and started investigating uh, some of the people from my family, like some of my ancestors. And at that point, it became undeniable that my ancestors participated in some of the uglier parts of American history. And I think... What m- maybe has allowed so many of those things to get swept under the rug and ignored and, and willfully ig- ha- has allowed people to maintain their willful ignorance comes from the fact that they can neither confirm as opposed to woeful, woeful ignorance, right? <laughs> it is quite woeful, but they is is the fact that they can neither confirm nor deny the involvement of their ancestors in in profoundly messed up stuff in profoundly messed up stuff, and so what kind of happened as a result is there was this moment where it was like, "fuck," you know, I cannot deny this. This is this is the truth. This is this is this is undeniable evidence that I am descended from people who did these things, right? And so, but then kind of what happens immediately. Is it becomes this like, how can I in my own behavior going forward and how I relate to others and, and, and how I live in the world? Obviously, I can't, I can't change the way other people behave, but how am I going to use this to guide my behavior and maybe make myself a little gentler? Yeah. You know, a little bit more compassionate. And so I did find that benefit from it.
1: I think that's uh, what a lot of people go into ancestral work looking for is like kind of this foreknowledge that you're going to find some fucked up stuff about. Right. Is, is it okay to use You can say whatever on this you podcast. want. All right. Don't I, hold back, I, um, man. No, I Don't would, I would
2: like – I, and I, I'll just say this right out the gate. I would like you to feel like you can say anything you want in here and if at the end of it you say something that you're not comfortable with – You know, being out there, we can always edit it in post, but speak (laughs) speak freely.
1: I guess what I was going to say on the point of like ancestral lineage and ancestral repair is another concept. This this is kind of what I was alluding to when I was talking about wanting to get into ancestral work from an esoteric perspective is this idea that like, you know, everybody that has come before you for – millennia of human beings right. is, is all part of the story that gets to now, right? Right. And that's, you know, while that their lives are not yours, it's still part of your your makeup. And while you're not beholden to the, the ills or crimes of your, your forefathers necessarily, the, you have the agency to do stuff in the here and now right. that, that might be, I guess, and I don't, don't want to be talking too much about karma and all these things like that and getting too far out there, but the idea that that in some... Way there's a karmic debt that you have the ability to act upon and and p- perhaps repay is right. part of the journey of maybe becoming a little bit better person in the here and now, right? Well, and us as and us as a
2: civilization and as a species, yeah, you know that the, the the cycle has to the cycle has to stop somewhere and. Awareness is in and of
1: itself transformative, I, I believe. I I would agree. And I would, I, I want to make a goofy analogy since this is okay. a, a, it's a uh, stoner podcast in which <laughs> ni- 99% <laughs> of the people will have seen this film, but Groundhog Day. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of like, like each day you're Bill Murray, but it's like, how many like millennia of shitty days in to that process are you? Right. And the, each one of those days is a chance to learn, right? Until he gets to that, that total moment of clarity day where he's just the best person he can possibly be. Right. Like you're kind of a respawn of the original person. It's like, well, you you got this wrong every other time. Right. And I I like um, apparently when they were talking about that film, like in writing it, they were saying like, well, how long has he been stuck here? And at one point they're basically saying like, just for we, for all we know, like millennia, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Right. like he's been reliving it. At, at, like, I at heard infinitive.
2: that theory. Yeah. that's that's a fascinating um, theory.
1: But like that, that you know, each day he's working on a, a different lifespan. That's right. a different chance to get it right, right? Like so, what if we pull back and, and perhaps our, our ancestral selves are part of a broader self that you know we're in touch of? Touch I mean, with. I
2: think they, I think they absolutely um, are. And, I mean, and it,
1: it, we're ju- we're just we're just that that piece of the. Uh, of the broader organism that can right. act in, in the now.
2: We're just, we're that moment in the process. Yeah. You know, if, it, like, if you think about, if you think about human beings, like a, you know, a, a colony of bacteria, you know, like, you can watch us you can watch a colony of bacteria. It, so many of the individual cells of that bacteria are born and die at such an, an incredible rate. It's, it, it's a fascinating microcosm of, like, a civilization or a species that, you know, and and you think about how many of your ancestors came before you and how many, if you think about belief systems as just information, just like genes are just like DNA Mm -hmm. is, you know, that information has been passed down from one person to the next throughout your, the, the history of your family. And there are Things that we believe that we never take the time to question why, the, why we believe them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also, I think, really easy to kind of go in the other direction to blame your parents for why you are the way they are or why you are the way you are or the challenges that you may have or or ways in which you are traumatized or fucked up. And they can blame their parents and they can blame their parents and on and on and on and on and on all the way back 160,000 years to yeah. the first modern humans, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it doesn't serve anything. Or you can go, okay, since we live in these... They know, fucked that up. How am I going to do it different? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> we live, you know, li, living in modern times and having access to this technology... Allows us the opportunity to use science to discover things that we wouldn't have been able to discover before, and to kind of pull back the the veil, pull back the illusions that we've we've set up for ourselves.
1: Well, and I think it's it's worth noting too that some of these uh, illusions, you know, that might be mythological in nature, are, also can contain cultural stories that, you know, mm-hmm. while, while not, they might not be, you know. From like say the biblical literists, uh, right. li- literalists' perspective, like exactly how shit went down, they're basically telling broader stories about the human narrative, right? Oh, right. And like I think there's there's a lot of ways to still look at like a lot of this mythology and some of these inherited sort of cultural ideals and and ideas mm-hmm. that we get as seeing like as the growing pains of humanity dealing with different issues right. over. over you know, long spans of time. Right. So, at, I, and I, I agree that, like, yeah, we can use as use science as a means of peeling back the veil. But the the other fun thing is, there's there's a whole corpus of esoteric literature and oh, tradition yeah. that's specifically about peeling peeling back that veil. It just right. uses a little bit different technology than uh, modern science.
2: Well, and and I um I used to for many years identify as as an atheist. You know, as uh, you know, and and I was. And I was really into the idea of, of you know, um, being kind of a materialist atheist, you know, uh, like if you buy into religion in any way, you're a sheep or, mm-hmm. or a fool or whatever. And I've kind of gone this, this other way where I do not care for what organized religion has done across the planet and continues to do to people in some cases but i don't think we should be throwing out the baby with the bathwater mm. and if you look at something like the bible or the quran or the talmud or 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 these these very very old texts you know they are they are telling stories and they are they are archetypes about these these important things about humanity that that the earliest scholars and alchemists and whatever you want to call them, the earliest, you know, learned people of their time are like, these are really important lessons. We need to figure out a way to code these such that they will imprint on the, the collective unconscious. So they just pass those stories along over and over and over again. And I think it's really important to, to take value in what those stories can offer uh, while at the same time engaging our, you know, critical thinking and yeah. and going this this part about stoning to death, you know, a, a, a woman who has sex out of marriage, or or you know, stoning to death a thief or cutting a thief's hand off or something like that, like we can cast that stuff aside, but there's other very important stories that we can we can keep and use to guide our behavior. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah,
3: I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, we have a special guest on the screen. And, hey! And walking, up, in, walking in, walking
2: right hey, now. Hey! A special guest on the screen. <laughs> oh, look at that. That is a great picture of you. Thank you. I brought you a beer. I don't know oh, if Thanks, you man. So, so if, you go, uh, on, if you go on Facebook and you look up Logan's Facebook profile picture, it's, what, it's you with uh, a cutout of a bunch of adorable little...
0: Yeah, yeah. This is at uh, the the Washington D.C. Zoo and I was there with my niece and we were running around and I found this little thing and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's I pretty was boring. just, I was like, what, what face would you make if you're holding a handful of animals that will one day be like able to just kill you. And I was
2: like, uh. you you look like you're from a future where everybody has mech suits and you just happen to be in the vet tech mech suit i just don't you know it's fit. like it's giant like it looks like you're a smaller guy inside a like bigger body or like you remember um do you remember the old beetlejuice toys yeah, yeah.
1: The the like shrunken head guy. Yeah, and- from, the, from the waiting room where they when they die and like go to like right the uh, the DMV of, of the afterlife. Right, mm-hmm. which is uh, yeah, it, like which is so smart. I like <laughs> that movie.
2: That movie was so smart, way smarter than it was given credit. Man, it's so good. But uh, but yeah, if you got the toy, it was like like there was like a fake head you could put on. You could pull it off and make it look like oh my god, his head shrank. Is your thing working? Oh, there it goes. There it goes. Oh yeah. Uh, how you doing, Lugs? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm glad you're here. Do you know Grant? <laughs> yeah, we know each yeah. Great. Okay, yeah. you know each yeah. other. See, <laughs> see, you walked in at just the right time, man. Like, I know.
0: I, I was standing outside the room and I was like, "Damn, this is heavy." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna like, wait a minute. And like I know how he, you know, expresses himself. So I was like, "I'm gonna let him." Finish his thought before I just bust in and be like crazy uncles <laughs> hey, here with some Kool-Aid beer man you know? through the
1: door. Hey, yeah. you want to talk about esoteric faith? Let's get talking about the human narrative. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, have
2: a hams. Yeah. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Hams, H A, Hams and
0: Paul's mm. Liquors, Hams and Paul's Liquors. <laughs>
3: yeah. So uh, born in the land of sky blue waters. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. So on on that note. I was listening to the interview. Now, this was a couple of years ago. I was listening to the interview that you did on Metalix with, with B-Lo. Great dude. Uh, great dude. Got to do his podcast, too. Like, I'm I'm glad he's still doing it, man. He puts out some good stuff. Uh, really cool guy. Uh, shout out to B-Lo at Metalix. Um, and in that interview, you were talking about the new in the company of Serpent's record that is now a couple years old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you were talking a lot about the kabbalist mythology that you kind of wove into that record. Can you yeah. can you talk a little bit about your interest in kabbalism and yeah, totally. and, and spiritualism and
1: yeah, would, whatever I, else is there? I would say um, so, so I mean like if you want like the whole story for how I arrived at that path it's a long one but I can yeah, probably spare, do you, it. spare you that but um I guess we can start with that record. That's like, um, so there have been esoteric themes kind of worked into all of our stuff. I guess probably starting with the second record. The first record was pretty much just straight up like, I want to make a Doom record. Right, it, right, did it. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, from our second record on, it's there's been a lot of influence of just my interest in esotericism and the occult and what have you from that, from that sort of end of the woods. Um, right. But that specific record... Um, I had started to look more into like a lot of what the, like really the cornerstones of what the es- Western esoteric tradition right. uh, we're looking at. And um, a big one for probably some of the more influential occultists of the last 200 years, which would have been like the Victorian occultists like your Alistair Crowley right. and, um, you know, McGregor Mathers and the, the Golden Dawn and the OTO and these groups that kind of shaped what we think of in a lot of ways as Western occultism. Right. They were hugely into Kabbalistic thought. And uh, Kabbalah, from their perspective, was sort of hermetic Kabbalah, which is a kind of a different flavor than traditional Jewish Kabbalah. Right. Uh, but they have a lot of commonalities and overlap.
2: So did um, it precede um, – yeah, so like hermetic Kabbalah, is that like – did that precede
1: traditional Jewish Kabbalah? No. So – so and, and uh, it's really kind of uh, – when you when you look at the history, because I'm completely of a lot of this stuff, ignorant
2: to this, so help so, me out here. So
1: looking at the history of a lot of this stuff, it's col- totally going to be dependent upon who you're talking to as to like what parts of the the tradition came from where, and it might be even something of a fool's errand to be like this is specifically, you know, um, of this tradition, while well, this is like this is hermetic and that's not part of the actual kabbalistic corpus, but. Um, the idea is that it can be kind of a living thing that's kind of shaped by its practitioner. When you're talking about like hermetic Kabbalah, you're talking about like what, um, would be practiced like by your Alistair Crowley's and, you know, OTO and Golden Dawn type folks. And there are a lot of overlaps and it uses a lot of the same things that would be in like Lurianic Kabbalah, which would be more Jewish Kabbalah. Um, but you know, there are a lot of big differences. Um, but like when you're talking about like from an occult perspective, that's typically like hermetic Kabbalah. And so like the Victorian occultists of you know, um, a, a century ago um, were responsible for kind of this really syncretic mishmash of a bunch of different types of esoteric thought that all kind of made made it into what we now call Western occultism. And so a lot of that had to do with hermetics and Egyptian uh, sort of magic. Right. Um, and then a huge facet of it was kind of Strapping all of that, those ideas onto the structure of Kabbalah, which has the central um, sort of glyph of the tree of life that. Uh, which we're
2: like, which it, you guys can't see this listening at home, but up on the screen, we're looking at the tree of life. Uh, we're looking at the tree of light. This is actually from your record, right? Yeah, that's right
1: that's so like kind of a stylized rendering of it. Um, that's but pretty dope. It, that, that, that artist did a killer job. Um, yeah, if you
2: look up in the company, there, what's the name of the the record? Just so people know, oh. uh, so
1: Ain uh, Soph So A I N S O P H. A U R.
2: Okay. If you look um, up Ainsauf Hour by uh, uh, In the Company of Serpents, you'll see you'll see the illustration we're talking about.
1: Yeah. But continue, please. So, okay. So, without giving you like a little like mini crash course in Kabbalistic philosophy, which I could really um, use. So, if you want to, <laughs> that would too. be I awesome. Am way <laughs> out of yeah. Mind. I'm, I'm kind
2: of lost here. So, okay, I'm so, like, and so I want to know more.
1: I'm, I'm probably going to do a piss poor job of this. So, apologies to any like true Kabbalists uh, who are just <laughs> screaming
2: <laughs> this. at Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let me catch this, this by saying that I'm something of a layman with all this stuff myself like i'm not some like i'm really more i'm not some like like high wizard uh like deep like initiate of some specific school in fact like my day-to-day practice is probably a lot more chaos magic than it is golden dawn uh western occultism well and
2: and Um, and we should probably clarify too that when you refer to like victorian occultism these are just the people who popularized it in the west right who took uh, these really old ideas and kind of introduced them to. They kind of
1: they formed them. They cohered all these different ideas into one system that was kind of loosely. So based they did on, create their own system. Well, based on off of like a Masonic lodge structure with different like, okay. grades and goals for different levels of initiation. Okay. Um, and then they kind of shoehorned the structure of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life onto that. Okay. So uh, to to give you that that quick nutshelling of the Tree of Life, um, and again for. My forgiveness to, to any dyed-in-the-wool capitalist on here who's going to be like, "You missed this." Well, it's like this is one of these things that has infinite. You depth. can just go and, and like to nutshell it is already to miss the boat. You but, can you um, can just go.
2: What I always do if I miss the
1: mark in any way is I go. <laughs> I,
2: I sing in a rock band. I I'm I'm not a scholar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: So here's my yeah. Let me preface this by saying. I sing in a rock band.
2: Um, <laughs> <So> <laughs> there we go. So, um, say whatever you right, want now. All right, now I get right, it. All right, what does Corey Taylor think so, though? That's what I want to know. So the
1: tree yeah. of life is based off of <laughs> it's it's got 10 different spheres that represent different archetypal forces okay. in the manifest universe from the most abstract to the most concrete which is the the sphere that we sort of inhabit. Right. And every sort of idea that populates the broader World that, um, or universe that we inhabit, from its most abstract and most like I, I non-existent in terms of how we would think of material existence. Like right. you're saying about getting into material science a lot, like a lot of that would would not have words for um, most of the spheres that that don't occupy the material plane. But right. Anyways, all of these things. Basically, this is a map, and again, the map is not the territory. Right. To, uh, Crib a little Robert Anton Wilson. I know he's yeah t- talked a little, about him a little, a little bit in the past. A little NLP, um, but uh, the map is not the territory. This is just a sort of a oh, a way of looking. at The menu is not the meal, universe. right? Yeah. So so in this um, in this sort of paradigm, uh, Ainsafar, The name that we got the the record title from is one of three levels of I guess negative pre existence that come before anything in the manifest universe that. Would be described in the tree of life could contain. So this is basically different levels of nothingness right. that are stratified before manifest anything comes into play. Right. It's so like antimatter kind of. So there, the way that's been described is that there's Ain en, and Sof and ensofar. and th- that these aren't direct translations, but those could break down into nothingness, uh, uh, limitless nothingness, and then limitless light. So that last stage before. Manifest existence is this limits, limitless light that is in so far. Um and so that's what we named the the record off of for that one, um, and primarily because all of the songs in there are, are pretty kabbalistically inspired, um, right. or at least from inspired from my limited understanding of that philosophy. Um, but uh, Well, something
2: that intrigued you and then inspired you yeah. to, to funnel into creative work. Yeah. Which is, yeah.
1: yeah. And so like that's th- – there, there are a lot of cool different like recurring motifs that, that kind of happen in these patterns that you can look at and kind of apply that lens to different things in day-to-day life. So for example, there's what's called this like lightning flash of manifestation. It's also represented often by this flaming sword that kind of traverses the 10 spheres as it – comes down into manifestation, and that's the idea that everything passes through this sort of path from that most abstract through all these other different archetypal stages before right. it winds up in the now, in the here and now, the the manifest material world that we occupy. Is and that so, something that we see laid over the
2: tarot too?
1: Like, yeah, like it shows up in a bunch. So of different so places, that's like so the, those those golden dawn Victorian occultists, they're the ones who are um, responsible. responsible for for shoehorning in. Kabbalah uh, to the
0: tarot.
1: Okay, okay. So, so now a lot of tar- tarot historians will tell you that it's kind of a spurious uh, association that they made there. Spurious so meaning? It's, it's one that was kind of shoehorned on is probably a better way to say it than – well, it's, it wasn't designed because it was supposed to be implicitly Kabbalistic. It's just that they happen to have a lot of overlap and that you can kind of fit – this model over it. So the oh, Victorian right. occultists sort of notice this. There's 22 paths that link the different spherot or sephirot um, right. on the tree of life, each one of them describing a different archetypal force. Well, there's t- 22 letters to the Hebrew alphabet that associate to each of those paths, and there's 22 major arcana in a typical tarot deck. Right. So these would be like death, uh, the sun, the moon, all archetypes. those, all those, the the those big, the the ones with the with the more in depth pictures in your typical tarot deck, right? Of course, the, the, the cool ones that people turn into yeah. t shirts and shit. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. exactly.
2: Yeah, and and, and and which are which are all based upon <laughs> archetypes which show up in, in in pretty much any yeah. any the, the roots of any spiritual. Well, text So, out so
1: the, where it comes from is a, there's a there's a French occultist Stellafus Levi who I think if, if I'm correct here is the first guy to kind of say like hey 22 arcana 22 Hebrew letters eh, eh, yeah yeah think about it you got, you got, you got, you got it. small suits that are 1 through 10 and there's 4 of each suit there's 4 worlds to the archetypal Kabbalistic universe and you've got uh, 10 spherot eh, eh, eh. you're talking out your ass man <laughs> hell no
0: stick to the traditional uh, I don't know just talking about, but it. Uh,
1: yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> like that's. So this is all stuff like um, this is what like a lot of people when they when they look at like, cabalistic occultism versus uh, other strains of it, and they look at this Victorian stuff. They're like, well, you're just kind of like appropriating a lot of different things and shoehorning them into to one system, right? That aren't necessarily there. So that's that's one argument against that. I don't necessarily 100% agree with that because most forms of esoteric thought are pretty syncretic in their nature in the first place well and like, there's they, that they pull whole, from a lot of pools
2: yeah there's that whole theory that there's that old saying uh there's one teaching on the earth there's just it, you know it's just spoken in a bunch of different languages yeah. something how, like that
1: how many how many different ways can you arrive at it yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. it's they're, they're, like what is it there's 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 one teaching it there's just many ways to arrive at it and, you I, know that old
1: idea i was i was joking with uh with some friends of mine recently on this, this subject we were talking about, like how, you know, yeah, if there is like some universal truth, it just makes itself like known to humans in different ways, (laughs) like across the planet. It's like, yeah, for the one true God, he's, he's, uh, he or she is sure. Numerous.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) absolutely. And um, such a
1: tricky fuck.
2: (laughs) Well, and that's, that's what we were talking about, about the idea of, of the people who gave us these myths, these stories they thought that there was information that was worthwhile to encode into the collective unconscious, yeah. and I've also I've, I've heard ideas too that across across a bunch of these, um, if you broke down like those ten spheres into mm-hmm. three areas, uh, and uh, you, you think about um, nothingness and pure potentiality and whatnot, I've ac- I've I've also heard, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I've heard of it being a metaphor for consciousness, unconsciousness and then the collective unconscious like the higher self.
1: Like a like need, it's kind of
2: like a map of conscious like the conscious realms.
1: Okay. Right?
2: Uh, of, of you know what pure potentiality or or the the human mind, you know the the limit it, it's kind of a a rudimentary way of or it's kind of a way of mapping the human psyche before we had you know the ability to scan people's brains. And... I think
1: I think that's definitely a, a helpful perspective to take with it, but I don't think it's necessarily the whole story, right? Too. Like I think that's that's one good way of that's a good lens of looking at it. Um, but you know, like like even terms like collective unconscious, right? Like that's a pretty Jungian term, right? Right. Um, and so, which again is just taking. And it, I haven't read a ton of of Jung yet. Um, I have a bunch of it it's shit just, on my bookshelf. I've, I've read a bunch to to of it. stuff by people but, who read a bunch of young. That's really <laughs> I haven't read it. Um, so I'm, I'm not like, I'm not averse to that, but it's also like, so a lot of these different stories, um, like we talk about how some of this, you, you said it needs to be codified so that it can reach the collective unconscious right that's one way of putting it a lot of the esoteric shit was considered heretical and thus was written in code uh, for centuries at least when we're talking about modern western esoteric beliefs a lot of this shit is deliberately codified so that to keep everybody the practitioners who wrote the shit uh, off the, the burning stake right right no <laughs> like, absolutely um, um, so a lot of it is written like very, um, in, in a very codified manner. So, um, but yeah, like that, like, so because thing it is, was, I mean, cause it was suppressed
2: and it, yeah. and there was, there well, was risks well, so, associated So that's with,
1: one side of the story, but then like, to, to look at, kind of back at the analogy that you were making that it's like, like, this is a story of our unconscious and conscious self and then the superconscious or whatever, um, that's, that's you know, our, our higher potential or like the greater self. Um, I like that notion too, but then there's also some facets of these different narratives that you can map to just like human history. So, um, I was recently like, like listening to like, you know, in terms of, of written human history, we basically, are you going to talk about Randall Collins,
2: that dude, the the, the great
1: Years stuff? No, no, I don't know it, but, um, but I'll, um, we can potentially go there if if, if, it, if it was I'm him. into it. I don't, it. I don't know. It. I don't know him. I could touch. I, can I touch him, on but,
2: it super lightly.
1: Um. So like, uh, one one way of looking, for example, at the biblical narrative is it's it's not a story of the history of all of humanity. It's a story of his, of humanity's move into agriculture, right? And and subsequently, what that becomes and and propriety and property and everything that makes up the modern world, right? right. Like all this idea of ownership or Moving from a hunter-gatherer perspective that would have been present at the end of the last ice age, right, um, to one that's like, "Hey, we figured out agriculture here, right, right, um, and we're now moving into this paradigm, and thus we're going to codify all these laws about property and propriety because this is my land and I have sowed those seeds and I'm 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 yielding the the rewards of all this, right? I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I'm articulating that well. No, I understand. Like, I understand what you're saying. So, like, like one example. Um, That I was uh, given in a class I was taking recently was uh, um, that like the story of Cain and Abel, for example, is about a dichotomy between um, hunter-gatherers and what would now be farmers, the agricultural sex of society. So we would have been hunter-gatherers for all of this prehistory that we have in the genetic record, like dating back hundreds of thousands of years beyond what we consider the historical period of humanity, which is, you know, what, 12,000 years and change. Mm -hmm. So um, we would have been hunter-gatherers for a huge part of this leading up to that. And so you get to this narrative where um, uh, Abel has like, hey, look at this nice beast. I didn't make this beast, God, you did. And I'm bringing this beast as a sacrifice to you. Right. And then Abel who's like, well, I made this wheat. It's mine. And I'm giving you this wheat. But... Part of it is like that was that was viewed as an as uh, insufficient sacrifice, right? To and, give wheat, uh, yeah. That Cain, was, when that Cain was... when Cain comes along with the wheat, it was it was looked down upon by God, right? And so Cain right. Cain wigs out, slays Abel um, right. over, over over this perceived slight. But part of it is uh, think about the the notion that he had he had cultivated this grain, right? But he had the temerity to think that he made it, right? And he's coming to God and telling you, look what I made. Uh, so, so
0: God was like, hell no, I <laughs>
1: right. made that shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's one way of looking at it. But like that's just on the specific like look at that particular parable. Now now, do you think – There could be a story of the broader shift of humanity from a hunter-gatherer society, albeit a very sophisticated one as the – Right. As, as it's looking more and more to be um, into one that's city-based, agricultural. Right. Um, and reliant upon basically everything that well, – has become the cornerstones of our current civilization. Well, what,
2: what, what's, what's kind of occurring to me as you're talking about that is, you know, there are so many, there are so many stories within religious stories that come from the stories of, of earlier religions. You mm-hmm. know, you can take the Bible all flood the way, narrative. Yeah, yeah, flood, flood narrative. Yeah. Flood narrative
1: occurs in basically every world. Religion. You know,
2: immaculate, <laughs> uh, uh, immaculate conception is another one. Um, the story of Cain and Abel shows up in different yeah. ways, and so what it makes a disgraced
1: me, brother slaying right. slaying something that's that's across multitudes of cultures that predate um, right uh, Abrahamic faiths by a, a damn long sight. <laughs> so so so
2: what we're so what we're talking about here is the idea about how how the the early authors and um, promoters, we'll just say promoters, the literary agents of the Bible, yeah. Were taking those old archetypal stories that people already kind of had in the it's cultural memory of them, right? The yeah. culture. Exactly. The, the like that ancestral memory of it, that culture that the yeah, the cultural memory of it. And then they go, OK, for the purposes of getting people to participate in agriculture, the way that is going to be most optimal for everyone involved, let's plug in these aspects of it that that serve to drive people's that behavior that way that and impulse, and I, way. I would
1: i would i would agree with that with one revision instead of for the benefit of everybody involved well for the benefit most of, of the, the time people it that was were... being for the benefit of whatever the ruling class was which right. is typically a priest class or a king class right that de, de, um devised their their um their authority from divine right right, right. Divine providence right? There, there's also because there's or, also so they in, claimed
2: there's also a, a deeper layer to, like, the Cain and Abel story, and this is just something that I've, uh, I've, I've heard in a lecture recently was, was this idea of Cain and Abel being a parable about nihilism and malevolence, mm-hmm. like about what Cain and Abel represent as far as the archetypal, the, the, the good son, and then, you know, the bad son, one could say. And the idea of uh, Abel uh, being the one who is, who is highly favored and seems to have all the luck and has everything uh, it just bestowed upon him. And everybody just seems to like him. And then Cain is just kind of this angry, increasingly resentful, um, bitter, malevolent, hateful, envious person who gets angrier and angrier and angrier and destroys his brother, who represents all of that, you know, uh, symbolically d- destroying that part of himself. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, like basically uh, to put to put it in the simplest way possible if you don't get that envious resentful malevolent part of yourself under control you're going to kill it, the
1: true part of you're you the, ki- you're going to kill the best the righteous part, of yourself. part of you yeah, yeah
2: you'll kill yeah. the righteous part of yourself yeah and that story comes from other stories that came before that another you know i'm i'm sure there's egyptian lore about that i'm sure there's i'm sure there's uh sumerian probably mm-hmm. you know all the way back they have
1: so i'm um, I'm reading a pretty cool book on on this at the sub at at the the time, but I, I'll spare you trying to paraphrase it because I'm going to get it all wrong, and I, I haven't finished the book yet. So, in any case, I'd be fucking up the old, the. It was pieces. all a dream. It, I used to read Word Up <laughs> magazine. Software, idea, the past. Yeah. Um, uh, Just like that, right off the top <laughs> of his head. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, there's there's a lot of repeating themes that you see in all these different right. religions, and they they point to broader mythology that's much older than. Um, what we consider it's a, ageless, history. yeah. So, so like for example, the idea of a baby washing up on the banks of either a shore or a river—that's something that you see um, in in Abrahamic faiths. You see it right. in Sumerian and Egyptian uh, lore. Willow, willow. You see it in willow.
2: <laughs> Aces. Uh, <laughs> It does happen in it Willow. Happens yeah, in Willow. happens
0: in Willow. Yeah.
2: That's, a, that's dropping, an example. We're dropping Willow. <laughs> but, but but that's the thing but that's the thing with Willow is like <laughs> No, 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 seriously. Okay. It was probably trying to play
1: with those different archetypes. Well, it's, it's the places. hero's yeah. journey, yeah. right? Yeah. It's yeah. the
2: monomyth. It's yeah. it's um it's Joseph Campbell. Mhm. You know, talking about the monomyth, uh, the, it's it's Star Wars and Willow and the Bible yeah. and Egyptian mythology and Greek and Roman
1: mythology. It's it, and, yeah. and and kabbalah apparently so that's that's one thing that that uh that kind of fascinates me about a lot of this stuff is that like um you have all these true faith adherents right who say like this is the one way it actually happened but to me the more interesting picture is how all of these disparate cultures are saying very similar things right and so when you've got these shared sort of myth themes that are across all of these different cultures that as far as we can tell didn't have contact with each other Right. although you know like spoiler alert they probably did and we just haven't found anything right right in the we archaeological just haven't found record it yet, to right. support it right but uh, i mean they because, were at least separated Because it's probably all lying under like several like like 100 feet of silt at the, right. at, the, well, at the cusp of like some right, shoreline right exactly you know? like, exactly <laughs> and they
2: were it, like man like uh, you, you, you think about north american and south american natives who were of Asian descent, and then after the the Bering Strait, you know, got covered, they were pretty much isolated from the other half of the globe for, what was it, 5,000 years, 10,000 years? You this know, is a, a very, very, very I, I
1: guess since I brought it up a moment ago, I, I should just name check the book that I'm reading because it talks about a lot of this stuff in, in a really fascinating way. But it's also done from the perspective of, of a practicing like ritual occultist. Right. Um, it's uh, Gordon White's Starships. Um, and he kind of pulls together all these different themes and stories and kind of points out to the fact that... Um, you know, while we might not have the archaeological evidence for it yet, there's a lot in the shared mythemes myth of different cultures and, and just uh, the genetic data um, right. that shows that we're not giving as much credit to our ancestry as we should. And that right. that tens of thousands of years ago, particularly like when we're looking at a, a human history that is just everything after the last ice age, right? Um, that's that's what we're talking about and drawing on from like what we presume to be the whole of his human which history. is such a small percentage it's, it's of just, it and that's just yeah it's a, it's a fraction of it cuz
2: what is it uh, uh, the, the er, and uh, Gordo can you look up can you look up um uh, great the great year um Randall Collins I think is the guy's name um or you remember did you get the video I sent you the why are there no why is there no history about early humans there was some video that i sent you so so like the first what we would consider to be modern humans evolutionarily speaking the remains uh of the 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 earliest humans that that we have found through science yet are like one hundred and sixty thousand years old yeah and then the earliest recorded history is only like 12,000 years old. Well, give well and or that's take.
1: and that's also through like this very selective lens uh, as well. When they're they're not considering you know cave paintings as right. necessarily written history because it doesn't encode language. Right, 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 right. right. But it still like might be. Indicating some very interesting things. One of the cooler theses of uh, theses, I don't know. Yeah, theses I think is how you'd say it. Yeah, except it, it's just, you know, you, you, you fuck up that, that TH sound and you're just in in, uh, some, in <laughs> some, some rough territory there. Um, but uh, um, one of the cooler notions that he brings up is that there's some pretty decent e- and compelling evidence that um, that most of these these people had some sort of star lore. Or um, right. astrological practices that they adhered to. Right. For example, this this one temple that's currently still being um, unearthed in in Turkey um, that has already, like, from a broader scientific perspective, they're admitting, like, oh yeah, we got to push back like civilized society for on the timeline of humanity a little bit further because of the existence of this place. We just found this that yeah. like that predates Sumerian culture by five thousand years. Right. Um, but this place called Göbekli Tepe. Um, each one of these temples orients to significant constellations in the sky that would have been uh, potentially significant for hunter-gatherer cultures. Right. So they orient these temples towards Orion, this big you know, astral hunter in the sky to where it's going to rise. And then after a few hundreds or thousands of years where it's shifted in the night sky, they're like, well, this temple is fucked. It no longer points to our key asterism. Right. We got to reorient the temple and they build a new temple that maps to where Orion would be rising on the horizon, right. like for that time. So I don't want to go too down, the, too far down that. We can go as hole. far down um, the rabbit
2: hole as you want to go. Well, we, we just went, we went way
1: off from like me being like, let me so, nutshell Kabbalah. So,
2: so, <laughs> so with, within that, that, that same topic or within that same ballpark, Th- what the is, is that the guy's name did i get the name right is it randall collins is that the guy's name randall carlson randall carlson
3: do you want so, me to put the video on the screen
2: um i don't know if it would do any good cuz the people wouldn't get the audio you know what i mean yeah, We can link it link it in the show notes so so, so so yeah so um yeah we'll link it yeah actually go ahead go ahead and uh, and put it on um and these various cult- so basically, what he's... motherfucker is holding the D twenty, man. <laughs> oh. So if you go, if you go onto YouTube, what's the name of the video, Gordo, so people can look it up.
3: Why is there no record of ancient humans? Okay, Randall Carlson.
2: So um what he talks—can you turn the subtitles on too? So what he talks about is he talks about basically how. We have these records of civilization that only go back to a small part of our history, right? Mm -hmm. And then he goes into uh, the geological record and starts looking up catastrophic events on the planet of a um, third order of magnitude or greater. So basically... Um, enough that they would like, if you think of like an order, a, a first order of magnitude catastrophe would be something like, and I might get this wrong, but it'll come up on the video, but it, it would, um, it would be like something 10 times the size of the, the Southeast Asian tsunami that, that almost, you know, wiped out everybody. Right. Yeah. Then he like takes it up by orders of magnitude and when you get to a third order of magnitude that is something that is so catastrophic such that it could all but extinguish life on earth mm-hmm. and he goes back into the geological record and he finds more than a dozen Events of a third order of magnitude that would have been enough to wipe people out over the hundred and sixty thousand
1: years of our existence Same for you know pockets of a few hundred people here right. and there right but,
2: like, like all but a yeah. thousand people right yeah. and so and 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 here's what he's talking about here is he's like looking at these craters and he's looking at the the geological record and and man that guy fucks yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and it turns out it's happened. A bunch of times, so he lays it over and um, and I, I can't remember the word that you used about like not shoehorning, but kind of like mapping something over a, yeah. a another another template. He maps these events over uh, some old astrological charts and talks about this idea of the great year, where basically every. 10,000 years or so, uh, something happens on Earth that all but wipes us out, and we're pretty much just civilizations on top of civilizations on top of civilizations.
1: Yeah, yeah we're about to do for one.
2: Yeah, we are probably about to. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be a few hundred years. When? Yeah, well, right. <laughs> Logan's looking at his watch like, let's wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, so when you talk about there are things probably under the silt,
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That, that will date back further than, than we thought possible. That's similar to what he's kind of talking about in this yeah. is, is this idea. And like where did Egyptian mythology come from? Where did Sumerian mythology come from? Where did those stories that happened in the cultures that were seemingly unconnected all over the world, where did they come from? They yeah. had to come from somewhere. And they
1: don't just arrive fully formed as soon as we have the written record. You know, right. There's, there's exactly. a long history behind it. But. So,
2: so there's,
1: there's people
2: that were passing along those stories in order to go, listen, we know we're all going to get wiped out at some point. So we need to make sure the thousand or so people left over don't have to start from total zero. Let's pass along these, these myths. Let's pass along these stories so that the surviving thousand or so people can pass them on to their children and they'll, they will get the next cycle of humanity through to the next 10,000 years.
1: It's it's a uh, it's a lofty ambition, one that uh, evidently hasn't been repeated too well. If we have been around as long as these things posit, right? Know? Like, um, I, yeah, it, it's fascinating stuff to me. Like just thinking about where all these different themes and um, just stories come from because a lot of it shapes you know what we arrive at today right that's kind of where i i don't you know how we got snowballing into this in the first well i was was, just going to come back
2: to it so like um, with with the victorian cabalists yeah
1: okay so so yeah so like part of our story you know if we're looking at like the western esoteric tradition they're compiling a bunch of stuff that was the available data at the time but if they were if the golden dawn was convening today to compile their their esoteric grade system around what we knew about human history, it might be a little bit longer and would have incorporated maybe a little bit more data right. than what was available to a Victorian occultist in, but they did in, the, in they the British library the in 1880, you know? <laughs> right. um, um, they used what they had at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's, uh, I like the notion that that a lot of these esoteric practices are much older than, than we give them credit for and that they, to some degree, might inform like how how we look at things like magic um, right. or just spiritual practice in the, in the first place. Um, and that's part of what interests me and kind of gets me thinking about this stuff. And you yeah. know, we, we were talking about comparative religion and comparative myths and mythos um, instead yeah. of saying like, oh, this is the one way it happened. When you've got shared archetypal stories that are cross-cultural, um, I wonder what those encode. Like for example, um, and this one's, this is always one of the cooler ones to me is that every culture has um, dragon myths. But right, you no, know, like as far as we know, there were never such thing as dragons. So, what are dragons then, archetypally to us? Is this something that, as you mentioned earlier, like is just a is a um, a figure that's part of the collective unconscious that everybody knows dragons because they're just part of that DNA that's written to us? I think it comes um, from being.
2: I think it comes from being early humans and having our built-in fear of serpents. For one, mm-hmm. you know, it's our built-in fear of of predators and nature. You know, a dragon is a dragon is a as is is, a, is an amalgam of serpents, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. fire, geckos. You know what I mean? Like and they like it's out there. (laughs) Hey, herpes has been our friend a long, long. time. That's the name of the dragon. Okay, herpes (laughs) the dragon. Uh So yeah, this is right here. If you look at this part of the video, he's like he's like mapping this. He maps the calendar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he maps zodiac. He maps these events over the the astrological calendar. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's the onset of the Younger driest climate catastrophe happens to map over the length of what they call a great year. Yeah. I actually, Logan, I've been thinking I want to call our next album the great year. Like just after watching this, I was like, whoa, that's (laughs) fucked up. We're all going to die. See, these are all. Year zero. These are all catastrophic events that have happened throughout the entirety of, of human history. All sixteen hundred years, it, of it. it, or sixteen it way, goes years of along it. with one hundred and sixty
0: thousand MF Ruckus records we have. Just a great <laughs> year. This this album's just all about how we're all gonna die.
1: Well, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, I don't take y'all for doomsayers, man. I've seen y'all play. <laughs> no, a lot. really, no, no, no.
2: <laughs> but I mean, it. What? So to that point, like, um, we can. I don't care. We can call like, it whatever but, you want. But, but but to that point, <laughs> like what? Like, with the comic book and with uh, – like, with the comic book, what I've been trying to do is it's, like, trying to tell a very old story, trying to use different elements of the monomyth, these, you know, different mythological elements in a modern story to do our part to communicate the lessons of these, like, old tales. Hmm. You know what I mean? And make a new story about
3: it. Right, right. It, yeah. And,
2: and – and, the, I mean, the songs I've been writing aren't necessarily about really deep mythological ideas. They're like the songs that I've been writing recently are more uh, like are honestly more either true stories or just for fantasy and, and fun, which is why I started doing the comic book so I could do this other element without having to mess with the way that we like to write songs, which is we just like to write fun. Mm. rock and roll songs and like to tell stories and and, and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah. Um, Back
0: to dragons. Back to dragons. Um, I was in Krakow, Poland and like me and my wife were walking around and there's like plush animals or plush like dragons all over the place and like statues and shit and I was like, this city really likes dragons. Like, I'd never seen a place like that before and then we got to the castle and we read the history about the place and They straight up thought that a dragon lived under their castle. Like, that was the whole history of the whole town. And then the king and his, like, son or something killed the dragon by filling it up with sulfur and it exploded in the river. And we're just walking around like, these motherfuckers believe in dragons? (laughs) 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 They really think dragons? And, I I mean, obviously it was all for fun, but it was really cool to see a whole city, like, based around dragons.
2: Yeah. Well, they they believe in... They believe in the importance and the significance of the story.
0: Right. You right. know, obviously, we were making jokes and shit, and we were like, this, this 80 year old lady believes in dragons. You know? but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like we got, we put it together that it was just like, oh, it's
2: lore and all that shit. Right. Right. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. That's really neat. Um, so I guess, so I guess why the, the next thing is kind of popping into my head, Grant, that I want to ask you about is what is, what is your educational background? Because man, you just have a brain for this type of information. That like, like I really like learning these things, but I am not able to articulate it as concisely as you are. And so I'm curious, like, what your what your educational background is, and what your like what your vocation is. Like, are, okay. Like do you – are you like a professor as well as like? – That
1: would be a cool, cool job. I, um, but I, I am unfortunately not. Um, Education-wise, like I studied you know literature and then my degree that I graduated college with was in art history. So I've been interested in, in how – in symbolic meaning for a long right. time. And so what – what symbols can encode and what kind of stories they can tell has definitely been something that's fascinated for me for a long time. As far as the esoteric shit is concerned, um, that honestly came more from, like, my interest in, in just weird music. Right. Getting exposed to stuff via that. Like, um, I'd say, like, my first um, – Sort of foray into more, more like occult music with some of the like the industrial stuff of the, the late seventies, early eighties. You know, your throbbing gristle, coil, psychic TV type stuff that were all actively. Um, you
2: just named three bands that I didn't know existed <laughs> until right now. Uh, it's it's all. Um, I'm gonna look all
1: three of them up. It's so they're throbbing they're, they're, gristle. Really, I've never heard throbbing gristle. No, I do I don't, I don't know. Proto-industrial, man. Yeah. I've heard uh, of oil, but I don't know the other uh, two. So, so. All, these, all these folks were were practicing, I guess, what broadly falls under the umbrella of what's called chaos magic now. And um, that is something I started to get interested in as well. Um, is that
2: like what David Bowie was into when he was, he was doing like – He was more like Victorian
1: the, Golden Dawn type stuff. Like there's, there's that line. I can't remember. It's on Hunky Dory. It's like – um, closer to the golden dome in mercy uniform of imagery like, the, like th-
2: the, yeah. th- the pale white duke is that what that the name good. of the character that was, was.
1: <laughs> is that the name of the character thin, th- thin white duke the thin that, white duke that, that yeah. actually that, that record um, station to station has his most overtly cabalistic references of any Bowie record. right he's on the back cover of that record drawing a, goddamn a tree goddamn in good life. record right there oh uh, yeah how, totally like the, of the thin white duke yeah so, I've, I've seen things recently he has, uh, he has Kabbalistic references in that right. song. He's like, "Drive like a demon from Keter to Malkuth." Right? Like, no, totally. Like, yeah. So Ketter is about. the most abstract sphere of the Tree of Life. Malkuth is the finite, you know, material world that we inhabit. So he was more in the Victorian occult sort of perspective. So to back up and give you some, some an idea of like what chaos magic would be right. comparatively, is it's like um, Victorian occultism would be like Golden Dawn, OTO, that sort of stuff. Chaos magic is total punk rock occultism comparatively. <laughs> it's like like divorce this shit from any sort of dogma um, and give me the actual practices that lead to yeah! to like either personal change or manifest change in you know in, in the world around me. Uh, right. Like like take away all this dogmatic shit and just give me, give me the spells. Give me the three chords. Yeah. Like, right. 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 Right? Right, right, like, right. So that's that's why you know I don't want to learn music theory. Give me three chords. It's, so that's so chaos magic is kind of like punk rock occultism in that perspective, and it has its uh, its advantages and its and its weaknesses in that. You know, it's like you can give three chords to a million bands, but not every one of them is going to be the Clash.
2: Right. 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 Right.
1: right. Uh, um, so um, and that's not to say that. And the
2: like, theory helps inform your choices. Right.
1: Right. So I kind of got into um, the esoteric, um, honestly, from, like, just finding out that, like, these musicians I was interested in were looking into this stuff and then learning more about it myself and being like, well, this is some fascinating shit. Right. Um, and just started to get more into it from that. And, you know, like, I, I tend to write – I'm not good at writing, like, story songs, you know, that, that tell a narrative. Um, and I, I'm – I guess maybe I'm not at this point in my life comfortable enough to write really overtly about my my own experience. And so I wind up writing things that end up getting veiled in the same sort of esoteric language that might be talking about something specific in my experience but is kind of encoded um, through the lens of these sort of esoteric perspectives. So that, that it ends up informing my writing a lot in that, right. in that regard. But honestly, it's just – Well, if it, res- just, if
2: it resonates with you, you know, then it yeah. applies to your personal experience well, that's, in some
1: way. I mean that's – it's what I've, I've found I like to write. Um, and it's – you know, you, re- you write about what you wind up wanting to be creatively inspired by or what what you're taking influence or interest in, Right. Um, influence from or uh, interest in and uh, that just tends to be the the case with the the last handful of records that I've done but like a lot of these different things like they might get like veiled in different ideas but they might be talking about something in my life so for example we did a a record called Merging in Light that played with um, this sort of on one level the idea of like this sort of like almost Rosicrucian union of opposites sort of um, alchemical marriage type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know, that's that's like the way high level like right, I, right, right, like view at it. Um, and then at the same time, I was also really interested in Burroughs and Brian Geisen at the same time, who came up with this idea of the third mind. That anytime you have discourse between a group of people, there's if there's the three of us talking. In this case, it'd be a fourth mind. There's like this fourth mind that would be the fifth mind. fifth mind. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. There's a fifth mind. But, but any, the, and that's the, the, the collective mind between the five, the of collective, us. the collective mind. That's, that's like the, the discourse between us. Right. And so that was an idea that was also on there, but then like microcosmically in terms of like my life at that time, I had just gotten married. So this idea right. of like two beings uniting to become some mm. broader thing or right. third thing, that's more than the sum of its parts. That's specifically what that was talking about, right? Right. So like this, this esoteric shit can still be a lens for me to just discuss my own life in it. It's just, you know, I'm gonna be doing it through. Right. These, well, these I mean sort of but th-
2: it, it appeals to you for a reason. Yeah. You know, and it it speaks to things that are relevant to you. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the purpose of transmitting these these myths throughout our civil like that are I mean they could be they literally could be ageless. You know, if we wa- if we wanted to get really weird, we could talk about, you know, aliens visiting early humans <laughs> or stoned ape theory or any of these things like
1: I think there's there's probably a little something to the whole stone ape thing. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm I, a, I yeah, I don't I'm I'm not a huge mechanic guy, but like not and that not because I've not because I'm anti him, but it's mainly because I haven't read a ton of his shit. Right. Um, to fo- en- enough but, to form an opinion. But um, there's another cool work, like if we're talking about like how different like modern versions of our religions are compared to what might have formed them, there's a cool book. And again, like let me preface this by saying I still need to read it. It's on my bookshelf. Right, but, right. <laughs> but uh, um, there's a book that came out by one of the dudes who was the uh, he was one of the scholars working on the Nag Hammadi library, which if you're unfamiliar, was this corpus of texts that got discovered like basically um, right around the time we were testing the atom bomb uh, in the last wow. century. It got discovered in a pot in the middle of the desert that basically describes the earliest form of Christianity. And so this has since become known as kind of the Gnostic Gospels. As There was a whole book that this uh, scholar in the um, – in the '70s, '80s, Elaine Pagels wrote on it. It has a much more crisp, like modern Christian stent to it, but it describes um, something that's almost completely alien to what we would describe in modern Christianity. Um, but this this one book that the one, the book that I'm referring to, and why this kind of overlaps to McKenna and stoned ape theory, is uh, this book is called "The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross," and it's this scholar's like. It's his take on the Nag Hammadi Library, and that early Christianity was a mushroom cult.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. I've heard that. <laughs> I've, I've heard, um, I've heard tell of. The I, I, and, mushroom and I, I couldn't cross. tell you. I couldn't tell yeah. you what source I got this from. But I've, I've heard stories about like mushrooms showing up in a bunch of places that we would be surprised to find them just like in in literature and in mythology yeah, you know yeah. in, including
1: christianity which well is fascinating. and some of the more like psychedelic facets of it are are part of what also gets contained and like sort of the ideas that form gnostic christianity or just gnosticism in general and the idea that there's, and what's your definition of gnosticism? That's a big, that's a big old ask there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, but what so, is what so is fundamentally fundamentally the general term some, supposed so to mean? gnosis means to, like knowing through direct knowledge, and so you might take that as as one way of looking at spirituality. Is that, um, you, that you know you, these you can, things you can because know you've directly through, through direct experience and ritual and personal contact with whatever we might call this, this force, whether it's divinity or otherwise. But another idea in Gnosticism is that there's kind of this, uh, this force that they call the demiurge, that's kind of this false god that is an intercessionary between us and like the true beauty of actual divine experience. Right. And this false god, the demiurge, basically lays claim to all the manifest world and says, just worship me. Don't worship any other god than me. Now, is the demiurge a characteristic in all
2: human beings that all human beings possess that like drives them to become uh, false prophets or something like that, or is it it, like is is the demiurge like a character in?
1: I think it could be kind of both. Like like there's also this notion that 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 overlaps pretty well with with demons and these are called the archons. Um, and the archons are sort of like these demonic forces that just kind of shape humanity to their worst. So right. um, when you think about like – Well, like those the, elements like perhaps... of
2: your personality, Cain, so, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, so, so when you think about like the most shitty pernicious facets of like modern life and society, you could consider these under archonic influence. Right. Um, and. I'll give you some examples of some films that could be considered pretty Gnostic. Um, But like The Matrix is a great example of a pretty Gnostic film. Right, right. That we're all asleep to this sort of reality that's being placed in front of us by the Demiurge, if you will. Right. And that um, it's part of our trajectory to try and break free of that and and see what the truth may be. Okay. So,
2: Okay. So, okay. So the, 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 the Demiurge is a concept that can be personified by... You know, either a literal physical antagonist or just like a a, a figment of, of consciousness or just, or just, or just
1: a, getting mired in like in a shitty, illusory society that is not right. the broader all or divine and presence I, that we might have contact with. I can imagine
2: that if you were an early human and you didn't know that mushrooms possessed chemical compounds that that Caused certain neurological connections to happen and, and expanded your, your, your vision, your awareness and heightened your senses and caused you to hallucinate. I can imagine being that early human and having that experience and going, I just met God. Yeah. Like I just how many how
1: many fucking like burnouts have you have have you talked to that have that same experience in modern society? Like, oh yeah, fuck fuck just like like early. Um, humanity without uh, access to the the chemical knowledge to let them know that that they're ingesting some sort of psychoactive chemical, right? It, like there there are people today. Like I can probably I can like you give me enough time and I'll find you somebody who found God yesterday on acid. Uh, you know, yeah. Like
2: <laughs> it, it, like a thousand years ago, they would have been like a, a, some sort of a monastic in a hair shirt, like yeah. just like 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 crazy religious like. uh what Would you say, like during the plague, there was the, the flagellates, the ones oh, yeah. who would like kind of march around totally. whipping themselves, you know? Like now, they're I just am
1: profane and unworthy, I must <laughs> beat it out, <laughs>
0: dude. Totally, where's David from Havoc when you need him? <laughs> I know, dude. That dude would just be like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: man, <laughs> I met God this weekend, it was awesome. <laughs>
1: That's,
2: so, so this, so this is just all. Spawn from like uh,
1: just an interest in this, trip.
2: just an interest in it, and, yeah. And you going to pursue a degree in art history and, and literature and learn about these. So, in other words, you read a whole shitload of books and you learn a lot about the background of, of art and symbolism. That, that
1: has a lot to do with it, yeah. I, I read a lot, um, and it's just you know stuff that interests me too. I like, um the 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 notion of esoteric knowledge versus you know the exoteric that we might be, get presented with mm-hmm. is, is something that's always kind of fascinated me the idea that there's there's another reality that's that's ever present but um, we're not basically, necessarily we're not attuned to, to we're not attuned to um, in any capacity but is constantly surrounding us and, right you know you look at something like like humanity's visible spectrum of light is you know, a minute fraction of what we know to be right. the total spectrum, right? Right. Um, but these these sort of ideas have kind of fascinated me for a long time, and so they wind up in my music. Um, one of the so we just we got a new record that's done, and it'll be coming out like next March. Um, but one of the ideas there that's kind of following along from the Kabbalistic uh, notion that that kind of got brought up earlier is uh, um, there's this notion of of, of like a fundamental root essence in a lot of these esoteric uh, disciplines. Um, and, you know, you, you might even compare material science, like the fundamental root essence for a long time would have been atomic theory, right? Mm-hmm. That there's this, this is like the, the base. thing that makes up all the things. This, exactly. This is the base building block type of thing. Right. But so a, a lot of these different, like esoteric groups have looked at these, this sort of fundamental essence Called, and, you know, in, in some cases, it was called, for example, the prima materia, the first material, right? Um, and they would call it different things. So in some cases, they would call it mind. So like from the hermetic perspective, the whole universe is consciousness. Right. And the broader macrocosm cosm of the all is reflected in the microcosm that is each one of us. And that consciousness is like this fundamental root essence. Right. Others have posited that sound is this fundamental root essence, that everything is just vibration, right? And that the densest matter that you have is just vibrating at such a level that we perceive it as as completely solid. Then the other one would be that everything is light. Everything is part of this uh, visible spectrum. Right. And so that... Um, when well, it's
2: probably all of them at the same time, just being read well, with different and, pieces of well, equipment. And cons-
1: consider It's just like, pick your metaphor, you know, like, right. <laughs> like exactly. which, which one resonates with you? Which do you like the best? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, cause we're probably not coming anywhere close to describing the reality of it, but, um, that, that notion kind of comes and at least in part from some of my Kabbalistic interests. So I told you the last record was called Ain So Far, the limitless light. So that's, that's that moment before manifest existence. Everything is just unlimited, limitless light. Right, right. Um, but then everything comes. That's into the being level right before, existence, right before existence. Right? right
2: before something comes into existence, so, it comes out of nothingness what, to, into limitless nothingness and into then, limitless light. Limitless light.
1: And so um, others have posited too that like when you look at like notions of divinity, you, well, like first of all, I think most of us are like. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know many functioning adults that are biblical literalists that think that, you know, there's a specific bearded sky, man, that is God, right. That looks down upon you. Right. And it's like, there's one personality. Um, there's a lot of them, but they tend to stick there's with multitudes. all the other ones. There, yeah. there, there's, there's a whole shit, right. The one true God is multitudinous, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, but the idea that if, okay, so if there's, um, omnipotence, right, all powerful, anything, right. There's then there's nothing that can be without that. Right. So there's nothing that could be placed outside of the sphere of what the broader all or divinity is. Right. Right. So so divinity from that perspective, and again, I'm not espousing this. This is just me just going through some of these ideas and playing with them. But divinity pr- from that perspective is literally everything in the manifest universe. Right. It is all part of the broader yeah. all that is the divine. And so when that gets clar- classified as it's Sachidananda, it's it's yeah.
2: it's all it's all the stuff. It's the everything,
1: yeah. everywhere, everywhen yeah. conscious it and aware of all. itself. It is the all. So right. so our next record um, is pretty influenced by that idea. But then I'll I'll kind of bring this back down into how this relates to my my personal life. But um, right. so we named the next record Lux for light, right? Um, on the idea that everything is based around this all, right? And the cover. Um, I'm really stoked with the like great cover art uh, done by a local artist, Christina Hunt. She did like all the Cloud Catcher stuff. Oh, right, right, right. Um, She's done a a ton of great stuff, like brilliant illustrator. Um, But I basically tasked her with like, I I want something with sort of a solar motif to reflect this light sort of thing. And like, like imagine you're doing a modern version of the sun arcana from Tarot. Um, And she comes back to me and like, we didn't even have talk about Kabbalistic stuff. She's like, so I want to include um, the Ophanim or the Merkaba from the vision of Ezekiel, which is basically this crazy, crazy scene in Ezekiel where he is confronted by angels that are described as like giant wheels of eyes, just like rotating (laughs) in and out of themselves, like wheels upon (laughs) wheels of eyes. Just these terrifying things, these terrifying forms that are angels. Um, And that's known as the Ophanum. But like she incorporated that into this. And it's funny because the back cover of our last record had another stylistic depiction of a Merkaba, which is the same sort of thing on the back of it. But she didn't know that. And it just got picked up and put on the cover of this. But um, so there's this idea of light kind of and fundamental root essence kind of overlapping here for for the theme of the new record. But on a personal level, um, our daughter's name is derived from that same word, Lux. Our daughter, Lucia, is our... How old's your daughter? She's two. Oh, man. Um, She'll be two here probably by the time this comes out. But um, uh, anyways, like... So on on one level it's this the, it's a record that has me trying to grapple with ideas of, you know, coming up with some sort of esoteric prayer to the all, and then also speaking directly to my daughter, um, who came out of limitless light. Right. You know is yeah. is
2: is, and man, isn't that amazing too? Yeah. Like when they, it's it's, I thought. That I knew I thought I had a a general idea of what it was going to be like to have a kid. You know I, I, I knew I was like, well, you know, biologically the instincts are gonna kick in and I'm just gonna love this kid no matter what. I'm gonna be super excited about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a lot of fun. There's gonna be a lot of challenges and and I was trying to like break it down, um, you know, conceptually. Uh, and then when they actually show up and they are like this, It's literal, pure being of light that, that is, it's a piece of your own light
4: Mm -hmm.
2: and your partner's light. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you get to see for a minute the, the potential of what the two of you had inside yourselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, like something that you like. Like have you ever seen cocoon? <laughs> you know what I mean like the little the little like light aliens that live inside the old people it's like it's like, all right, we're gonna pull you forth into the earth and then we're going to spend the early part of your years kind of like sculpting clay around you to make you into a person so that you can survive in this world of other beings of light who are all encased in in yeah. clay you know yeah. it's
3: have you ever seen the Highlander? Highlander? <laughs> yeah, I've seen the Highlander. Did you know there can only be one? Have you ever seen Howard <laughs> the Duck? Didn't they make <laughs> like Did you know three it's a Highlanders? Highlanders? <laughs> there was way more than one there Highlander. Can only there can be infinite movies. There can, be but there can only movies. be one Highlander oh, at a okay, time. Okay, okay. got it. Um, we 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 need to take a break right now for for technical reasons. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. So that we can continue going, actually.
2: Oh. Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's take a break, and we will be right back. <laughs> Do
0: you play D&D? I, I'm actually going to play my first game on Oh, Thursday. my God. You would, like... You'd love it. You would be a king at this, shit, dude. I, I'm,
1: a, I'm. I'm. You should be a DM. It, yeah. You I, should so be a, my, whoa, whoa, a DM. whoa. You gotta, I, you gotta. You gotta start slow. You gotta walk before you can run. Yeah. Gn yeah. the DM, dude. I'm playing um on Thursday like a group that also includes Gordon from Call of the Void. Oh, cool. Um and like it's me, him, and several of our buddies who have never played D and D. Basically cornered our one buddy who's like an all too willing DM to be like. Teach us, yeah, like yeah, we were, Like yeah. it's too, way too much of a glaring omission in our geek blind spot that we don't know how to fucking play
0: this. Once, once you guys like get into the fucking the the motions of it, you guys are gonna have fun. I can like already tell. Yeah. I used to
1: play
2: it in high school. Uh, I mean, I played it in high school for a little bit, but I haven't gotten into the rebirth of it, and it's and it's literally just because of time. I know I would have fun. Like Logan, you know, it'd be really cool is if we did an episode
1: where we played. Oh, shit. You, you have to get uh, B-Lo on that fucking episode. You know, Brad? Does he play? Yeah, from... From, uh, from Metalix? From Metalix. He's, like, his... He has, like, in in his uh, place, like, I remember seeing, like, he's got boxes and boxes of different die for, right. for different tabletop games. Like, there was that... I gotta,
3: I gotta say, uh, a band that I'm very fond of, Ford Theater Reunion, they have a podcast where they play Dungeons & Dragons. Dude, that was what Dan Harmon did. And it's... It's pretty great, honestly. Dude,
2: did you ever see? Um, did you ever see uh, Dan Harmon had that show Dungeon Quest for a bit? Right. Yeah. There's like comedians that started doing it. They and would play D and D, and they'd animate the. They'd animate the, like what the quest was going or on. whatever. Yeah. Dude, I would be taught i mean we wouldn't want to do multiple episodes of it obviously since there's other people already out there doing it but i would love to do an episode it where we it
0: play takes D&D. some time to set up it's not like we could show up press record and be like okay now we're going to play right like, right right it's right. not fucking clue you know <laughs> no
2: no no you've got to you've got to set up characters yeah, and you've got it takes
0: some time and like it would take us probably Three quarters of the episode to get ready to play, just to get like four right. or five people that yeah, have this not ain't played no Settlers again. of Catan.
2: Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we had to take a break because we have literally maxed out the computer. Like this, the computer was giving Gordo warnings that if he didn't stop and do something about it,
3: it was just going to melt into a puddle. Because it was just done- me like dismissing the message, and then it would pop back up. Dismissing the missions. It was just too
0: much knowledge on this episode. (laughs) By
2: by the way, those of you who listened to the uh, uh, R. Allen Brooks episode, I was saying 5,000 hours or 5,000 minutes. It was definitely 5,000 minutes. We've done 5,000 minutes of podcast in 2019. That is fucking insane. Uh, That is a lot. Of sitting around and, and John with your buddies. So thank you to all of you who have listened to all 5,000 minutes of us sucking yeah. John your ear off. That's, that's uh, really fucking that's cool. That's pretty big. We did so much that we almost broke a computer and had to take a break to clear some space. Uh,
3: <laughs> I mean, real, granted, it is an older computer. It is
2: an older computer, but still. <laughs> but still, I'm
3: proud. That's really cool. But data never dies. <laughs> well, it just did. We just sent it. Yeah, we just had to murder some, actually. Dude, yeah. we
2: just sent it back into the, the limitless nothingness. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's
3: true. It's true.
2: That's where all the da- – when you empty the trash can on your computer, that is where the data goes. It goes into nothingness. <laughs> like, they can go in, and, and if they've got a warrant, they can they can go and dig up everything you've ever deleted, man. Especially on the cloud. Ooh, on the cloud. That shit is out there don't do an online journal like don't do an online diary do it in, in fact don't do a diary at all if you've got stuff that you need to confide in in a little tiny book under your mattress like if you die suddenly and they find that diary mm-hmm. that's got all that stuff in it oof
0: uh, me, me and my wife were talking about the little machines that listen to you all over your house now, like uh, the oh, yeah. Alexas and all that shit.
2: Oh yeah, that's been established. Well, they, they use that. Yeah, shit.
0: I know, but it's like, what? What could they possibly be listening to me about? Like, right, my new character I'm building, or like my wife working from home. It's a. I was like, baby, we are not criminals. Like we are not selling meth out of this house. Who gives a shit what the fuck? Yeah, all
2: they're hear? gonna do is target ads.
1: Which yeah, just like the stuff that you that's that's want. That's the anyway. pernicious for, for me sucks. about it. It's just like like oh okay, we're gonna like just mine you for data and just sell you more shit. Like yeah, let's I see don't how much. Hate let's it. just see how much more accurate, accurately the algorithms can predict every moment in your life. Right. Like hey, you know what? It seems like they're going to go on a date and it's going to go shitty tonight. And I, this algorithm proves it. We're going to market this to them. Right, I don't hate yeah. it. I don't hate
2: it. I don't hate it because it's like there, there have been times where I've been like, man, I just wish like somebody could help me find like the stuff that I want, man. I like don't want to go look for it myself. Like I just want someone
3: to go, oh, you need that thing. Here's that thing that you need. Thank you, Amazon. The bad news is we're out of incense. The good news is we know where to get more. <laughs> the good news is we
2: said incense and Facebook started giving us a bunch uh, of ads for it.
1: Dude, I mean, the, the I got we, we had fucking I'm sorry. I no, go I ahead. Go ahead. Off. Like, all right. So, before my wife and I had told anyone that she was pregnant, we started seeing ads for this shit because of the the stuff listening. And we, we mm. don't have a fucking Alexa. I've, I've in heard our about house. that shit. We're yeah. talking about just our phones and our yeah. pockets that we've like tried to opt out of most of these. Uh, more Orwellian security measures. Mm. But uh, we started getting all these like maternity ads and, and shit like that. There's stories phone. about we people getting not outed not having, because of like, that stuff. Like, yeah, like not having a conversation with anybody other than your spouse in the comfort of your home about right. some deeply personal shit. Right. Like I, I find it. Uh, Do you per- think
2: there's you know, anything uh, that can be done to slow it down though? Do you think there's anything that can be done to stop it? See, I don't think so. Solar flares wiping out all of our <laughs> internet <laughs> infrastructure. <No. laughs> well, well, hey, when we hit our <laughs> next cycle, yeah, yeah, something's going to like wipe Find a solar (laughs) flare. Great year at the end of the great year. Yeah. Hey, what a great year it's been. Hi, everybody. What a great decade. Hey. We're gonna need some of those BBC sound effects for this episode, Gordo. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors first and foremost, Batula Plumbing. (laughs) Batula! Batula! <laughs> shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. Master of poopers himself and flushes for all. Help us come up with um, plumbing Metallica no, puns God.
3: to use in this Jay party. Good, Lord's already. Oh, he's it. on it, dude. He's <laughs> writing
0: them right he's now. Tapped into our. There's a, Alexa. Good, there's a good
3: Slayer one I thought of after the last episode. Coils of the serpent unwind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's good. It's <laughs> good. Uh, oh, wow. Angie's
2: List, Super Service Award winner back in 2011. The only year that mattered. 1-1 one, one is the only one. After that, Angie's List just went way downhill. But you know who didn't go downhill? That's Jerry Matula. He has maintained his plumbing integrity all these years. Even
3: when shit runs downhill, he won't follow it.
2: No, he won't follow it. He'll just make sure it goes where it's supposed to go, into nothingness. That's where your poo goes, by the way. <laughs> into <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Man, that would be cool if poo went into nothingness, but it doesn't. It's like all the poo that ever there was is still here. Dude, like Aztec crops were grown with human shit. Like the Aztecs would just like take all their shit and put it in their fields and like grow their crops out of it. So you're just eating poo corn and poo green beans. What do you think you're eating now, man? (laughs) Like, it might not be... Hey, I just want to eat the poo, okay? It might
0: not be your poo,
2: but it's like... Oh, speaking of poo, I caught my son playing with a cat turd the other day. And not like a dry cat turd, like a fresh, wet, warm cat turd. So, like, one of our cats eats Sarah's hair. So, like, sometimes she will take a shit and a piece of hair... We'll have it, like, dangling from her butthole, and she gets scared of her own poo. <laughs> so she, like, runs out of the litter robot and, like, starts dragging her ass and, and stuff. So I wasn't probably paying attention as well as I should have. And she came running out, <laughs> wiped her ass on the couch, and a turd literally dropped right in front of my son. I'm like on the computer doing some work or something and I just start to smell, catch it. I'm like looking around for it and then I'm like kind of checking around Ransom and then I start noticing these little tiny fragments of turd where it is clearly a turd that has been pulled apart and parsed out into smaller turd particles and I go, oh no. oh, And I grab his hands and I look at him and his hands are just brown. Just, and I grab his hands, and I smell them, and they just smell like fresh cat shit. I still don't know if he ate any of it. He seems okay. Yeah. He's not exhibiting any of the signs of toxoplasmosis. but uh, That's good. You know.
0: Does he ever get into the whole bundle and make like a mountain form out of it? <laughs> and go, means... this means something. <laughs> Those are his first words.
2: Close encounters of the turd guy.
0: Hey! Hey! His first words, this means something.
2: Oh! <laughs> Matula Plumbing. <laughs> if you're in the Des Plaines, <laughs> Illinois area, and you need any plumbing done, call up our buddy Jerry Matula. Groove Studio in beautiful Evergreen, Colorado. Atop Black Mountain! Uh, the finest recording studio that there ever was. It's really an incredible place. Fascinating, um... Uh, array of equipment up there. Uh, Really amazing stuff to make your record sound more good, better. Uh, Powered by the sun. More good, better. More good, better. (laughs) Solar powered. Solar. 70% solar powered. That's still pretty good. Uh, Really, the main thing is they just, they're really good at what they do. And uh, it's a beautiful place to go work on a record and stay tuned for some listening parties that they're Getting ready to do... What What did they call it? Just like the, the the chill sessions?
3: I'm not sure what it's called officially, but it just sounds like... You just go out, up and hang out and listen to records. Listen to some stuff. Drink a beer or two, maybe. Yeah, hang out. On state.
2: Big shout out to Evergroove for donating our uh, ATP uh, digital television studio um, here in 2020, we are hoping to get to going uh, full live stream every week on the podcast. We just have some pieces of equipment we got to get. Yeah, uh, you guys
0: are doing real good at setting that up right now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have it. We have the thing. Our computer's just really old. That's all. <laughs> this, this computer's not helping. No, right no. We, we we definitely need to upgrade. Some we tried equipment. to plug it in, and our computer said, "Fuck no,
4: you, fuck off."
2: Uh, Evergroove Studio, check them out at evergroove.com. Black Mountain. Uh, the Nugnation.com. A uh, whole bunch of cool shit going to be rolling out of the Nug Nation here in 2020. Uh, of course, stay tuned for my interview with Ritz. That is going to be a fun one. Redman has got a new piece that he's going to be doing. And I was talking with Mikey today about doing a Bong Burgundy poetry slam piece of content that's going to be really fun. We're gonna get like some flute music in the background, and I'm just gonna write bad poetry for Bong Burgundy. It's gonna be great. Uh, the Nugnation.com. See all the nugs in their wacky adventures through the town of Nugville. Slack like of South Park was like made of weed. I took Grant on a tour. He got to check it out. I got. I've got to. I got to say this. It was really funny because uh, Grant and I are talking, and he was like, he was like, yeah, you know, I kind of wondered. He's like, because you guys put out like 50 times more stuff than other bands do. And I, w- I was wondering, and I guess you have access to this facility. And I was like, yep, 50 times more stuff. And <laughs> still <laughs> nobody <laughs> gives a shit. Them, dude. <laughs> it just barely makes an impact. So uh, try hard, kids. You know, shoot for dreams. the stars. Follow your
0: dreams.
1: <laughs> so,
2: so you got the tour? Yeah, that's rad. What do <laughs> you
1: think? I think it's awesome. Yeah. Like I've, I've I've never seen a stop motion animation studio. It's fucking cool. I was, like, yeah. The joke I made to Aaron when I walked by, it, it was like, you need to do a Halloween thing and you need to resurrect all the best Harryhausen monsters from like you know Voyage of Sinbad and all that shit. Oh, but but yeah. dude, I from love Voyage weed, of Sinbad. Weed Harryhausen monsters.
2: Yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I'll have to run that by Mike. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, and uh, and besides just the stop motion animation stuff, they do a lot of just like straight video shit here. Like a lot of spec work, a lot of things for clients. Um, uh, All that Jason and the Argonauts fucking yeah, Sinbad so cool. shit was so super rad. rad. So yeah. rad. Yeah. It's so cool. That's a really good idea. We'll have to. We'll have to that's talk like to my like,
1: main reference point for stop motion animation, aside from like a few random, like, some adult Christmas swim special with, yeah. with dinosaurs, robot yeah. chicken. Yeah, Wallace exactly. and Gromit, that that type. Of, yeah, Adult Swim stuff, and then Harryhausen. Like, yeah, yeah, That's that's my frame of stop motion reference.
2: I'm excited. I'm excited to see what comes out of here in um, in the next decade. Uh, hopefully, some really, really, really cool stuff. Uh, so yeah, thenugnation.com. Check it out. Flipside Music on South Acoma Street at the Rock Block there, next to the Keep and um, Blackout Screen Printing. Uh, largest selection of effects pedals in the region. Did you I, know
1: that I've been that place is trouble. Like if you're if you're a guitar nerd and you go into that place and you have a few bucks burning a hole in your pocket, you can get into a lot of trouble. At yeah, side. it's dangerous. They have a lot of cool shit. You use a lot of pedals in your array, don't you? I, I do, but I I I don't have the weirdest signal path. Well, I have a weird signal path. I don't have a ton of effects in it, despite like the gargantuan size of my pedal board. It's mostly a bunch of like fucking preamps and stuff that I'm not actively just uh, to like. Around with.
2: Because, because for people who don't know you guys, you guys, are you still playing as a two-piece or you're playing as we're a three-piece piece now?
1: We're a three-piece. Uh, we're actually playing this Saturday night at the High Dive. Uh, if you are, cool. Uh, this will be Dem- out in time. Denver yeah. uh, listener. Um, we are a three-piece. Um, so Ben Pitts is on bass and then lap seal guitar. Oh, I didn't know that he yeah. was playing bass for you now. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And he's awesome. And then uh, JP from Clinging to the Trees of a Forest Fire and Vermin Womb and uh, Bleakheart is on drums.
2: Okay, yeah. cool. Is, so, well, originally you used so many preamps because you were trying to get kind of bass tones from your yeah. guitar as well, So we, right? were,
1: we were a two-piece for ages where it was just me on guitar and a drummer. And uh, so I would run my signal and split it out to multiple different amps. And one of them would be like dropped down for part of its signal, uh, like, like an octave so that it sounded oh, cool. bassier and fattened up the sound. Uh, I don't have to do that anymore, but I still do because if you play through like fun. a crazy fucking wall of amps and like your guitar tone just by itself is thicker than any other guitarist, you're like, why, why would I get rid yeah, of Yeah, why would I go back? <laughs> yeah, like this works. It's a pain in the ass to take on tour, but right. It right works. Right. Yeah, so
2: what all, what all did you get from Mike over there at Flipside?
1: Oh, I got like this crazy um, uh, reverb delay pedal, um, some Earthquaker avalanche run thing. Um, that was really, really cool. I've also been getting my, my guitars set up there by Nick, uh, in the back of the shop. Uh, see, lately too. So, see, this
2: yeah. is, this is a real testimonial, man. Get down there. Go see Ike. Go see Nick. Get the stuff taken care of And While you're there, stop by the keep. Say what's up to those guys. Stop, stop by blackout screen printing. Get some t-shirts made, man. The rock block that places the shit. That's not what they call it. That's what I started calling it because I'm trying to help brand their little, a little stretch of of business there. Trying to get them, trying to get them to blow the fuck up, son. Uh, let's see. Who else? Who else? Who else? Oh, Mutiny Information Cafe. This is, of course, a Mutiny Transmission, which is a media service division of Mutiny Information Cafe.
3: Nice Mutiny shirt, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm dude, dude, this is
2: like the original Mutiny shirt. This is like from like like before they were cool, you know what I mean? This is from uh, like this is from Mutiny Books when Jack Jensen ran it. So this is like old school. and I think it's glow in the dark, too. I could be wrong. Turn out the light real quick. Is this glow in the dark? The light switch is right behind you, Logan. Oh look, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thank you for really turning those lights off, Logan. <laughs> no, I don't. No, no. no, it's not. I'm a liar. Ooh, <laughs> let's leave those lights off, man. That's yeah. nice. Let's just leave it off. We yeah. do have this guy here. And yeah. He, he plays creepy
0: music. So,
2: <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> I know you don't have your guitar here or any of your equipment, but what we're going to do is we're just going to turn out the lights, and then you're just going to make ambient, spooky
1: All right. acapella no, doom music. Acape-
0: okay. No, you're going you're gonna to give us the new in the Company of Serpents acapella, the whole, the the whole, whole thing. All right, here we go. Here we go.
1: Okay, one, <laughs> two, I, three. I don't sing. <laughs> give me, hey, hold on, hold on. This, this is where the riff is. The riff goes on for a little bit, just a second, and then then here come the words.
0: (sighs) (laughs) All right, that's another riff. Just the taste of the new record. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) Sounds dope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a little bright in here,
2: huh? Um, A little little housekeeping thing, since we're talking about Mutiny. uh, By the way, books, records, comics... Coffee, live events, uh, podcasts, video, premieres. Man, they, they, mutiny is everything. So says our uh, recent guest, R. Allen Brooks, creator of the Burning Metronome, who, by the way, uh, is going to be launching a Kickstarter for a new project he is working on. You may have heard him mention uh, the, his new project. What was it called? Garden of Anguish? Is that what, what it was called? I forgot. It was something like that. You can well if you go to the motherfucker in a cape podcast page on Facebook, you can get more information about it. He just dropped a new podcast um, with his co-creators on that project. But coming up in February, he's going to be dropping a Kickstarter for that. So keep your eyes peeled and definitely help him make that. Um, Alan makes some incredible comic books, so I'm excited to see what they turn out in this new thing. I will definitely be backing them. Uh, Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios here in Denver, Colorado at 2712 Larimer Street right next to the Larimer Lounge. Uh, so stop by, see Mikey Mulligan, have a beer, talk with your buddies, and then go over and, and have a little band practice. Do you guys ever jam over at Rocket Space, Grant? I have, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it's a quality
2: spot. It's nice to just be able to go drop a few bucks and not have to... Really set much of anything up.
1: That uh, that was definitely the uh, the the major bonus coming from a dude who brings entirely too much shit to every right. show. I was right. gonna say, uh, like, <laughs> yeah, how
2: do you how do you even practice at a spot where you've got to bring. <laughs> Like, all the equipment that you bring to shows.
1: The spot is my basement, and it stays there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's smart. <laughs>
2: so, so do
0: you load all that shit out for a show?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's an ordeal. Okay,
0: once we're
2: done with the sponsors, I want to talk to you about all right. how many cabs you have. Yeah, yeah all right, all right. That, that's a good... Hey, I like the gear porn segment of the podcast. That's a lot of fun. Because uh, I've seen a
0: lot of bands, like, with your old similar setup, like the... The two-piece. The drummer, the two-piece, the drummer and the guitar player that balance with the low end and the high end and i've just seen them loading in and i'm like man you are a more patient person than I. yeah am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so
2: well, anyway yeah well it, well and the interesting thing is is that sometimes they're really good at it and right, sometimes right. they're really bad at it and i've seen those two piece like like those bands that went and saw big business one summer and they're like that's what i want to do and they're like you know, maybe if they stick with it, they'll eventually get there. But they're definitely not there yet. But they went out and bought all the equipment they a,
1: first. They got a Line 6 Spider and then, like, a little, like, <laughs> like, like bass combo amp that they got off of Craigslist. I was going <laughs> to say, like, just because just okay. you
0: have more speakers does not mean it's going to combine yeah. well. Well, you
2: know? no, so. I, I saw one. I can't remember which band. I, I think I saw a, a band play when my brother was in head trauma. Mm-hmm. They had a band that played with them at streets. That was one of those bands like that where it's like, it's like we set up right in front of the crowd and we're super loud and super annoying. We're just a two-piece doom band, and 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 they bought all the nice equipment and they had all the amazing cabs and all the pedals and like like amazing gear. But they're playing and songwriting just. What, yeah. yeah, was not quite there yet. Like, have you seen that meme where it's the kid that's, like, walking from the first step all the way up to the fifth step? Yeah. And yeah. it's, like, <laughs> and it's like, it, it was something about, like, doom bands, too. And it, it was, like,
1: like, dedication and practice, it's, like, right. learning like learning your instrument. Writing cra- songs. Songcraft. <laughs> and know, and like, then it's,
2: like, <laughs> amazing pedals and amps and shit. Yeah. 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 Seen
1: a little bit of that. Um,
2: let's see. Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, I think the last one is, are we on the patrons now?
3: Patrons? Yeah. Nug, Nug Nation? Dick yeah. Nug Nation. Nug Nation. I think we did everybody right right but after the Nug patrons. Nation is the patrons.
2: So, uh, big shout out, like we do in every episode, um, to our patrons, the people who back us via a small monthly contribution on patreon.com slash mfruckus. Guys, we have some amazing stuff planned for you in 2020. We're going to be going back into the studio to work on a new album. So we are going to be producing a ton of garbage unfit for the major market, uh, the market at large. Um, and we're going to give it all to you guys. We're going to be demoing a lot. And uh, my plan is to pass along a demo to our patrons once a month. Uh, we're, we're going to be giving a whole bunch of stuff um, away because we're going to be making a whole bunch of stuff uh tons of podcasts coming up in 2020 uh tons of comic book stuff planned tons of music video stuff planned and uh we're putting an album out we're going to start recording a new album so you guys are going to have access to that before anyone else does um it's our small way of saying thanks for making it possible to do what we do uh if you want to learn more go to patreon.com slash mfruckus become a patron at any level and get access to the shit man it's very cool. I'm into it. I'm into the support model. It's struggling a little bit. I mean, just just across across.
3: Um, Are you worried about the security of your shit?
2: No, I'm not worried about the security of my shit. But I've been hearing, I've been hearing um, content creators from all sorts of different realms—from music to art to film to. Yeah. Philosophy and psychology and politics. I've, I've heard across those different areas, the complaint that the world, the market at large is having trouble moving out of the wild west. Everything is free model to the like support based model. And, and I get it. I don't like paying for stuff. We've been getting it for free forever. But keep in mind when it comes to independent artists that that can mean the difference between them doing it or not. So I personally, uh, if a band does a pre-sale of something on Bandcamp or they put something out on on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, I I get on there and try and at least kick a few bucks to help help them do it, man. It's the way to keep independence alive. Have you guys ever done any crowdfunding stuff at all, Grant? We
1: haven't, but I'm not averse to
2: it. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and you guys put out some really cool stuff. Like you guys put – like one thing that I wanted – I I was talking to Reed Reed from Speed Wolf and Overdose Mm -hmm. and Poison Rights and stuff. When I I had him on here last week, I was talking to him about how much I like their packaging and their branding and their marketing and whatnot. And I really like think you guys even take that to another level. Like you guys have created – So many things that are designed with the collector in mind, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the last record you guys did. Like, didn't you did you do a picture disc or you did a bunch of different we components? did a bunch
1: of crazy stuff and I, I like that's that just comes from me being a, a dorky collector <laughs> guy that, exactly that, that loves you can like, like weird intricate packaging from other bands you know um, like, like what all so people know
2: what all did you do on the last record the last
1: record came with uh, if you got the deluxe version it came with I did a, a uh, woodblock print. Um, that was limited to the 100 copies of the deluxe version, that you got like a hand-printed print that I, I carved and, and printed. Um, it also came with two embroidered patches that were basically— Bex did those, yep, right? Yeah, Bex uh, did those, our, our pal Bex. Um, she's actually done all of our embroidery, um, but two embroidered patches that were the A-side, B-side labels of the record. That's really um, cool. It came with these enamel pins that are like the same symbols uh, from that. A side, b side i'm yeah this is great radio i'm just showing the guys in the room the pins on the jacket <laughs> no i mean they're really um, cool pins <laughs> um, but uh that and then it was like a it was a unique uh, color variant for that that record like that was unique to that, that And it was a unique
2: version. sleeve too right yeah
1: well so the whole th- the sleeve for all of them was really kind of out there it's kind of like um that one was kind of like it had two different covers. The outer cover was like more of like a slip case that was matte printed in white with uh, spot gloss on it. So it had this sort of white on white um, sort of effect to it. But it also had a die cut, um, like cut out of our, of our cross insignia, right. of cut out of the middle that lined up and mapped to design elements of what I would consider the full cover. You know, what's on the CD if you bought it.
2: Like metaphysical um, graffiti. Yeah. <laughs> Or not metaphysical, like physical graffiti, not metaphysical graffiti. <laughs> metaphysical graffiti is dead milkmen. Physical graffiti, Led Zeppelin.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Gordo. Well, and then like one special fan got a bitch in the past See,
2: that's really that's really cool. And I saw that and I was like, God, that's fucking good, man. But isn't it really expensive to To make that stuff?
1: Yeah, we just do it in smaller quantities and I just make the margins significantly smaller on them. So like... Like I'm not, I'm like, I'm not getting rich anytime doing this band and it's not, it's not a substantive part of my income because we've basically, because I still want to put out really cool looking shit, but I'm still self-financing all of it. So. If you
2: don't, if you don't mind me asking, what was the cost per unit on that release? It
1: depends on which one, if, for the deluxe one, I had to charge like 45 bucks for those just to like not be losing money on it, be, just with all the different shit that went So y- So
2: your cost was almost $40. Well, there
1: was a, a ton of custom shit on that one too though, but like- right. But for like the the price per record, like for just the die cut ones and stuff, like I'm I'm making like a couple bucks a record.
2: What you was know? your what What was your cost on it though? I'm curious because I, I always want to do weird shit like that.
1: Yeah, it's well, and so the, that's the other trick is like like you got to order enough that you're actually going to sell them, but not so many that you're going to be collecting stuck dust, with them. You know, yeah, like yeah, like yeah, to get a decent price point. But yeah, like I still sell them for twenty bucks. Right. Um, so how many we, did you uh, get? Um, we did five hundred. 500 yeah. yeah so yeah end of the day when all with, with all costs factored like you know if if I'm basically, like, not, like, I'm making a couple bucks a record, and I'm still selling them. Right, so. right, right. So right. I'm, I'm still making that it's record so back. It's so cool. But I'm, I'm <laughs>
2: sure when you put it out, like, people saw that, and they were like, I gotta have that. That was you know?
1: That's the point, is, like, like I want to make cool shit, um, and I think that so many times people overlook the aesthetics of a record, and... Right. That's the yeah. most fun part about it. I mean, if you're going to get physical records, uh, like, if, if you're going to go and actually buy a slab of, of vinyl from a band and try and support them directly... You want it to be something cool, right? Yeah. Um, you want to
2: sit down and look through it. Through it I don't, don't want to pay
1: it. somebody to hand me like, um, like a down, uh, uh, download code printed on like just shitty computer paper that they got from their band camp. Like right. that's not merch to me. Like, right. um, you know, I want to, I want to make it something cool. And if you're going to go through the trouble of, you know, listening to a relatively obscure ass band, making weird ass music in the first place, you might have, might as well walk away with a cool
3: group right. Record. No, I'm right I, there with you, buddy. Yeah, No, no
1: I, same.
2: Sa- Sarah has a lot of cool, weird, obscure metal records that she's collected over the years, and it's not like we sit at home and listen to them. It's like yeah. it's like if you want to if you want to listen to it. I mean, you know we we do put on records at home. We listen to records, but they're not they're not something we are. We're, we're playing on a daily basis, you know. We're not yeah. playing them until until the wheels fall off. You know, It's it's you're kind of collecting a piece of art in a lot of ways. And I've always really liked that idea of creating, you know, our – the vinyl release of Thieves of Thunder was our best-selling merch item ever. Yeah. Like – The day that we released it, you know, we sold 20 copies the day that we released it, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but for a small independent band and online sales, that's that's really good. That's exciting. You know what I mean? So I've just been thinking more and more about that. And I've been thinking about you and the things that you've made and gone, I wonder how Grant even made that happen.
1: So so some of the stuff, like some of the coolest shit, in my opinion, is the stuff that you can kind of hand do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting it out like... Like for me, like the block printing thing, like that's like yeah, it's you know I'm I'm doing a wood block print, but I won't, I've only got to carve it once, and yeah, printing it is going to take a lot of my personal time, but like in terms of expenditure for me, like that's that one I'm purely spending my time on it, right? right? Mm-hmm. And it's still a piece of of unique art that's going to be exclusive to that record that is right. going to be hand done by the artist, handed it to you. Um, that's and, super cool, and like that's like one cool way that that I've found you can put something unique into like your special edition package is just do some some unique art like as a band. If you got any artistically inclined people in terms of graphic arts and shit in your band.
0: I wonder if we can sell a jar of my spicy pickles with our next. <laughs> Dude, you, you fucking could. Our next I'll bet really we
1: could. Well, actually, you, you might run into FDA shit there. I That's would, the I would like, buy
3: some pickled eggs yeah. from you guys for sure. Uh, well,
0: hot sauce? I make I'm hot, just hot saying sauce, a, but I
1: don't think I could sell it. Later.
0: I'm really good at but making spicy pickles, and sauce. I don't think we can jam a jar of pickles into it. Well, the MF logo yeah, would the look the really good
3: branded on an egg or a pickle. I mean, really, I prefer an egg, but... I mean yeah, they it do has to be a pickle, sure.
2: They do stamp eggs sometimes. Like if you get Eggland's best eggs, they have a little stamp on them. Absolutely MF's best eggs.
1: Well <laughs> <You laughs> fucking you, eggs. You can do fucking <laughs> temporary tattoos or some shit. Like, Dude, that's a great
2: uh, We yeah. did so when when we first did the rebrand and changed our band name, uh, we did a seven inch and it was like pulling teeth to communicate between the two vendors, the 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 people who were printing the album covers and then the people that were we had stencils made that were our logo so that when you got the record what i was trying to do is make the the cover of the record look like it was spray painted on and yeah. then there would be a stencil that was laid over it but if you got it it was, it, it didn't look right like it
1: was you know it that's a cool little design touch I'm a, i can imagine that right now it's it, cool it was fun it was a neat
2: idea and then i think we had 500 of those printed They weren't even in circulation that long. And then like we moved and like, you know, all that we hadn't sold. So like 498 records, (laughs) like either got left at the house that we lived in or somehow got misplaced. And what I think happened is a landlord just went and took them and, and put them in a dumpster somewhere. But somewhere there are like a few hundred copies of. The very first MF Ruckus seven-inch live like a motherfucker volume two, <laughs> which we only called that because we were trying to create the it's illusion. A brilliant
1: first record title, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: volume two, because we were like, we were like, oh, we'll just tell people that volume one is like super rare, and create a demand for it. it. It, I don't have one. We we were thinking long game on that. My parents have one. They have a live like a motherfucker volume two.
1: Yeah. So that would be okay when you're talking about getting a die cut stencil that would be a cool fucking little extra to get as a See that like was the thing. That so was you the take thing. take the stencil and start like tagging it up places. That's be cool. That's what it was. Is and it we was took it every on tour record that
0: time and we were doing it ourselves. Yeah. Like the whole idea was promoting this album that had like a stencil with it and we we're like, "Oh, we're going to stencil it all over the place." And then we lost a bunch yeah, of Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but but we had a company, we had a company that printed Uh, A thousand die cut plastic stencils for us that were like, you know, whatever. 9 9 by 9 or or whatever it was is that, that actually
1: how was how cost prohibitive it was that because i've like so we've already gotten the die cuts done by virtue of our last record having our fucking logo like die cut out of the middle of it i'm like i'm wondering like if i should just get a bunch of those printed dude yeah do that good. i've thought about doing i mean it's plastic it's like that's that's literally how i've marked like all of our road cases as i just dismantled one of our last record put our oh, on, dude up. i mean
2: yeah. it it the, the stencils themselves weren't that expensive okay. like they were done on on mylar like uh, you know however however many mil, uh, mil, millimeters of of mylar hmm. you know and they were they were the right size to be able to slip into uh, seven inch, yeah. into a seven inch yeah oh, nice. no they were great they were a lot of fun man yeah <laughs> um, okay let's talk about let's talk about your setup okay. Let's talk about it a little bit because I know I know the the gear heads, Gordo Finally. and Logan. Yeah, this is Gordo's <laughs> favorite part of the show
0: because I've seen you guys play before, and it's it's been a while. But I remember just being like one two two. Okay, I
2: don't. We know actually why. played together one time. Yeah, yeah. I
0: I, I, just,
1: I had a way more over the top setup when we played together at like oh, three kings okay. like seven years ago.
2: Well, we played like some. It was some weird series of shows that. That some that's right third party promoter was doing or something that like dude that. Dude from uh, that band uh, Gestapo Pussy Ranch. N- I, maybe it was that. Or they played one of them is what it was. Um,
1: fucking Primasonic was the dude's band. Oh I'm yeah, about? yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know that exactly guy, I who totally you're talking about. I totally lost contact with him. I think he no, moved we to stay like in Spain, touch. Spain or something. He's in like, Spain.
2: Um, and he actually, for a little bit, was working for a label out there. Cool. Good. Yeah. 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 He, um, he actually, he and I talked at one point when he found out that we were going over in, um, and touring Euro- Europe and, and was saying, like, yeah, I'm working for this company. He didn't end up staying with him, but, but yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. He's cool. still out there. Yeah. So,
1: so my, my setup now is basically like, I basically play amp rigs that are enough for three people. And it's dumb, but it sounds real cool. And I have to slap a ton of shit everywhere. But my clean guitar tone is a Fender Twin that I then switch over to the two dirty guitar tones, one of which is basically a full bass amp. The other one is a full stack of guitar amps. And both of those are getting 300-watt bass heads run into them that I then slave from preamp pedals. If If that made no sense to anybody out there... I'm a makes, singer guy. I have a real loud, real loud. I basically have two really loud bass rigs, except one of them is more geared towards guitar. Um that's where I make all my loud noises, then all my nice quiet soft the, noises come through a Fender Twin.
0: And that's pa- your your loud guitar rig is powered by a bass amp.
1: Uh-huh. I use okay. I use uh SVTs for both sides. Okay. So so I have so it's basically two SVT stacks. Um one of which is going through four uh, 15 inch speakers. Okay. The other one's going through six, 12 inch speakers. Um, so the. Four 15 inch speakers? Yeah. I got So I parred down to a four 15. Parred down. Yeah. Um, in,
0: no. <laughs> <like> instead of. <laughs> you minimalist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I was carrying around two, two 15s. Um, okay. Um, and that, it was louder objectively. Um, mm-hmm. but like it's, I, I just decided instead of two, two fifteens and two, four I'd rather carry around one, four 15 and one six um a few less things to plug in. Hasn't really changed how much heavy shit we take everywhere with. Right. But right. um, yeah. And then uh That's fucking wild, man. I used yeah, I used to run two two and two four twelves um as my rig. And that was just the dirt rig, not including the, the Fender twin that was also coming with. Um at one point I was running three dirt rigs. Um That was like a... a,
0: Define the term dirt rig for me. Just
1: like the... So I would switch between a nice clean amplifier, the the fender amplifier. That would be my clean rig. Mm -hmm. And then instead of just using like a distortion pedal and using the same amp, I would switch over to amps that are... Just already made to make big, loud, nasty noises. Guts. That's what I thought it yeah, was. Right, right, but, right, right, right. So like, so the dirt rigs would be like like a full guitar stack and a full bass stack mm-hmm. dimed in to play like really loud, aggressive, heavy tones um so i'm just switching super fun to play with it's super fun to to play with it's a huge pain in the ass to set up and i'm so grateful to have three people in the band now so like breaking that shit down with two two people in a 15 minute changeover was fucking (laughs) your drummer's like all right i'll see you in two hours it was basically that like i would would like pull all my cables make a rat's nest of them and then try and get all our shit off stage as fast as possible and And then then you're
2: backstage trying to drummers
1: trying to uncoil cables while i go run up and sell merch right right yeah but yeah, it was it's overkill. I'm I'm like as I push closer and closer to forty, I'm like, uh yeah, maybe Do I, I wanna carry with, this? Yeah, do I wanna carry all this shit? We're going on tour um next uh spring with all this stuff we're already talking about. Like, well maybe maybe the bass player can have the four fifteen and I'll just use one two fifteen. <laughs> For the guitar set.
2: right, right, right. <laughs> what? So, what made you decide to to go to a three piece? If I mean, if you were already songwriting, running... songwriting, songwriting. Ra- uh, oh, really? It was, all,
1: it was all like, so we were doing shit that. In really the speaks to Ben's credit, man. That's it was, really cool. Well, and he's a, he's a, a brilliant addition to the band. I mean, he's um, a brilliant guy. He's yeah, he's an amazing musician and one of the kindest people I know too. Yeah, um, a really sweet guy. Um, so I I had been writing stuff and wanting to write parts that that we're getting beyond the scope of what a guitar player and a drummer on stage could do without heavily relying on a ton of samples and shit. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to reduce, or or I didn't want to change my role to doing a bunch of tap dancing on like different triggered effects and different things that would be, you know, that initially would have been performances I recorded myself. Right. um, Like in our songs to layer them out, you know, Um, and I wanted to still be able to pull this shit off live. Um, And I knew that, you know, having a bass part that's distinct and dynamic and apart from what you're writing on guitar is one way to do that. But we've also, every record we've done, save for the very first, has lap steel guitar on it. Um, do and, you play? You uh-huh. play lap steel? Uh-huh. That's badass. Uh, um, it, but we would use it in kind of an, an unconventional way. We'd tune it to a minor open uh, tuning so that it's if you strum it, it just sounds like this eerie minor chord. But you can take that, that, um, that slide bar and you can move it to the key that you want and kind of like vibrate it. And it creates this really ghostly, ethereal sort of drone. Right. You know, we've layered into our music for, for pretty for like like, long
2: passages. Yeah. Where, where like, you guys, because you, I mean, you guys are like, you guys go really proggy. Like, it,
1: it, 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 I mean, I, I, I don't know if I would say so. Um, in terms of like, well, I, I'm just laughing because like I write so much shit in open tunings and like just caveman one finger riffs and well, shit but, to be described as proggy. And like, thank you. What, I don't know if I would well, what, what like I mean by that
2: is like, like in. Like, in the doom sense, where, get, like, <laughs> like a passage progresses over oh, a long yeah, period yeah. of time. Like, you have these long drone passages that are yeah. going on, you know? Yeah,
1: more atmospheric shit. I, I suppose, yeah, 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 we've got, like... Uh, like
2: To me, that's, like, when I think of prog music, I think of a lot of those layers, and I think of a lot of...
1: I was thinking, like, crazy time signatures and, like, super intricate no, guitar playing. And I'm like, yeah, we don't do I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking, i am I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking less King Crimson and more, okay. like, can. Okay, cool. You know I can I mean? dig that. That's, yeah. Okay. I, I appreciate that comparison as much as I do love King Krisman, no, Crimson. No, King Crimson's yeah. type. But I'm, t- I'm yeah. talking about the, others,
2: <laughs> the other end of the spectrum
1: that's more yeah. the, like the droney, spooky atmosphere. Right. Yeah. Totally. So I was trying to write more, more shit like that into what we're doing. And um, so it became evident that we needed a, a third member. Um, right. And- Ben's kind of joined into this, and he's come up with his totally unique style of playing, where he's playing the bass parts and often like kind of like sliding into a riff or hammering on to produce the sound on the bass, while he's still kind of droning something on the lap steel. That's really cool. Um, it's got this really cool effect. Like, there's only a few spots on the new record where he's like actively like both hands playing like a typical like slide sort of riff, because right. he's he's playing parts where he'll be hitting something. Like and then doing the slide part over like while it's ringing out like yeah like That's so cool it's been it's been it's been a lot of fun to play with
2: yeah I guess yeah. I guess if you're if you're the only if you're the only melodist in the band for lack of a better term in a live performance scenario you're going to be limited by you know if you have. If you have a bass sound that is that like even if you're working off of two different amps and two different it's still sounds, just, it's the same it's riff. It's still going to be the it's same. The same riff just dropped down an octave, and so, so yeah, so it's just going to sound like, at best, two people playing the same thing at the exact same Which,
1: time. Which was, like, kind of the, the writing limitation I was trying to overcome there. You right. Know, like I wanted you to, wanted to, to be able
2: to do the stuff that you were doing in the studio in a live well, setting.
1: It, well, and that's the thing, is I didn't even get as far as the studio. I was just thinking in terms of, like, man, I could write so much cooler a song if I could have I have an additional part right here. Right. Um, knowing that, you know, full well everything that we'd recorded previously, we, we tried to steer away from doing too much that wouldn't be something we could reproduce live. But like you know, like for years, like I had that slide tone. If we rec- recreated it in our live setting, I would just basically had several loops of it pre-recorded, like on a, on a sample pedal that I would trigger depending upon the key the song was in. You know? cool. and
2: I've been wanting to do that for a while. Get the sample pedal. That's really it's, cool. It's
1: those are fun, but it's like I would. It's so much cooler to have a dude someone up on do it, stage really. just create that drone himself. You right. Know? Um, yeah, it's it's definitely been. Has it a good has, expansion? So,
2: so we had uh, we had Nate Valdez from In the Whale here a, a few weeks ago, and we were talking a little bit about um, touring in a two piece band, mm-hmm. and just like it simplifies things a lot, it simplifies money a lot. It's fewer mouths to feed. You know, you only have one other person that you've got to get along with. Did you notice any major shifts? positive or negative in the inner band dynamic with relationship to touring with the relationship yeah, sure. to working in the studio when like how dramatic was the change once you brought Ben into the mix
1: I uh, I you know it's 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 always going to change things a little bit when you add new right. new people in, into something I I honestly felt it was pretty painless like Ben's super easy to work with mm-hmm. and uh, um you know if he's got something that might border on a dissenting opinion <laughs> and like another case, he's going to do so diplomatically. And right. It wasn't really like, there wasn't much trouble in that regard. Well, and he knew he
2: was joining an established band.
1: Yeah, totally. And, um, so when he joined, we were still playing mostly old material with the exception of one song. Like, so he joined just before we did a small tour last year. We played a festival out in Chicago and d- built like a little four or five date sh- like run around it. Right. Um, and Ben joined a couple months before that. So, he had to learn mostly old material and then one new tune. Um, right. But so, so in that regard, he was just learning stuff that's already been done and just kind of like writing some new parts to it, mm-hmm. to established songs. Right. Um, but in terms of like, honestly, like just having three people in a band has made just live shows and set up and tear down and then just right. the dynamic of who's driving, you know, right. uh, just a little bit easier. Like, so. I used to love
2: being a six piece. Like, when we were a six-piece, like, we would, there were six of us in the band, and sometimes we would even bring an extra person, you know, purportedly to do merch, but generally it was just like, ah, let's bring Fatty with us, too, because he's hilarious and fun to travel with. Yeah. You know, and and in all reality, hung out at the merch table just as much as the rest of us, which was not at all,
1: but (laughs) I really, I'm a more of the merrier kind of guy in a lot of ways. See, I'm, I'm. This is like three is about, like about as many as I would want to to go on. To right, with. unless you're talking about a, another band that's in a du- another van <laughs> and then, like we're right. not experiencing their in- right inter van. Uh, well, and, and it <laughs> depends. And it
2: depends on the person. Like when I say the more the merrier, it's a caveat. You know, there's a caveat attached to that, which is the more the merrier, as long as there are people that I that I get along yeah. with. Yeah, you know, and that all get along with each other. Obviously, there's going to be a there's going to be a limit to that, but that like, there's something fun about having your crew of dudes, yeah. you know, where you're, you're going out and you're having that experience together. And it's something about like that, you know, we were talking about the third mind or the fourth yeah, mind, right. or the fifth mind. There's, there's something about like, like we still have fun. We still laugh. We still have a great time, but it's definitely a lot more tame than it was and i think a big part of that besides being younger and besides the fact that we were all raging alcoholic lunatics (laughs) and morons i think a big part of that was because it was like it's not just a few friends going out and doing it it was like it was like our whole posse it was like our whole crew you know what i mean and that was that was really fun and i can see Especially because you guys had another lineup change right before that too, when when Joe left the band, right?
1: Yeah, so he actually he actually left after Ben joined um, after that tour, um, and we're still on great terms. You I know, know there's I know. Yeah, there's no acrimony or anything there, but like, um, yeah, like honestly, I've I've been in bigger like five and six piece bands um, before too, and you know that that's fun, um, but. I've I've never been in one where it's just like a ton of like homies, you know, like right, that, right, like right, people right, right. that you would want to like hang out with every disparate yeah, member rare. of the band, yeah. like and and tour with that many people, and like frankly, like for for this sort of dynamic, I'm I'd, I'm happy to keep it to like two three people because it's like it seems to me like like a fewer headache situation because oh, like, yeah. like how how much trouble can the three of us get into, you know, when, like one of us has to be sober every night, to right? Like, like, no, and and, and that's
2: true, and and we would fight you know we would argue and we would you know pair off occasionally and things like that but for the most part we got along really well and had a really good time and we were doing that stuff but no i t- i totally like and we have talked before i think logan secretly fantasizes about being a a one piece a one piece
0: <laughs> just no uh. I, I think it, uh, we used to show up like as
2: a, a squad,
0: we were like a presence to deal with, like a van of crazy motherfuckers would show up and the door would slide open. People would be like, oh shit, right. these guys are here and they mean Good business, optics. you know, but now I'm, I'm, I'm more <laughs> with you. Like right. as I near 40, I'm like, let's cut it down.
2: Well, it's like when we when we did that tour with the Blind Staggers. Let's get Tony out of here. <laughs> Next on the chopping block, Mr. Tony Lee. Uh, well, we did that tour too with um, the Blind Staggers. And we had and two vans. It, well, no,
1: we were in one van with the blind oh, staggers. When this we most, went, recent this one. most recent, this most recent one. Yeah. See, so yeah. this is like this is another thing that's just mystifying me is that you're talking about like having six people in a van and gear, like, right? And right. I'm just thinking of like like the the amount of shit we take with us just from a gear perspective. I was just like, there's no fucking way we're doing more than no, three yeah, people, yeah, yeah. not no, without buying a trailer. No, dude. <laughs> we
3: see, but Tony Lee, he he just carries around a little P V.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No, dude, we've been par- <laughs> so we used to when we were a six piece. A big thing was like all all three guitar players in the band had the fucking had the same amp. They had you know Marshall JCM fucking two thousand TSLS or whatever, and like like we were going for that like the the ACDC looking rig. Yeah, yeah. The Marshall yeah. stack backline, and Logan had the. The eight ten with the fucking you know S V T the S V T and and you know tie with his kit and everything. I was waiting and, to see what he was going to call. And it. we would what we would do. <laughs> he you had the thingy, you had the big amp, and then no, and and we had the van and the trailer, and we would carry equipment in like a chain of circus elephants. Like, we would just, like, link up and grab all the equipment in one time and walk it in like that. It was a lot of fun. It dropped down to, like, three trips. And it It was, was like, the optics of it were really neat. It was fun. It looked cool. But over the years, we started to pare it down to where now I shit you not, Tony plays a fucking PV Bandit (laughs) because it never breaks. You can put it in a car. You can put it, I mean, you can. We could tour in my fucking Hyundai Accent if we wanted to. Yeah. You, could you know, tour
3: on a bike with that thing.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: seriously. We did a tour once um, early on where... Are the Bandits... Wait, are the Bandits the little combos that are like like a 110 combo amp? Like it's like a 110-inch speaker? I don't. am not I, sure
3: if it's a ten or a twelve. Do you know? But it's Logan? like a, it's
1: a single speaker it's combo. A single, oh yeah, it's okay. definitely
3: a single speaker. Okay. There ain't much room in there. I've seen
1: like some people like <laughs> who have linked up like fifteen of those fuckers in like one Whoa. wall and made made like the bandit wall. <laughs> that
3: is hilarious.
1: Tony yeah. just wants the one,
2: and <laughs> but we did we did a tour once. Um, it was after after Tay left. You know, Tay owns the van. Yeah. So when when Tay left, so did the van and the trailer. So we had to figure out different ways to make it work. And one tour we did early on um, with the lineup change was we went to the Pacific Northwest in a Grand Marquee. Whoa. And it was at that point that we were like, you know, I kind of like just this combo amps and guitars and a couple cases of merch only deal. Yeah. I mean, it, we saved money on gas. You know, and if you know how to get your sound dialed in, and you're not afraid of looking like a bitch to the people
1: who pay attention to gear, you know, I mean, we've made it work. We've, I think that's that's I think that's wonderful, and that's that's a killer way to do it when you can when that works for your sound too, right? So much of our wouldn't fucking, work for like, your sound. So our, so much of our guitar tone is 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 around basically way too big of amps being pushed too hard. Right. Um, And that's a volume thing. The other thing is also like, you know, we're not of a stature where we're playing clubs where you've got a reliable or consistent um, uh, sound uh, show to show. And so I don't want to have to rely on house sound to get my guitar tone out there. Right. Like that's, that's part of why I'm still kind of like just stubbornly sticking to this fucking way over the top overkill rig is like... Well, my guitar is going to sound the way I want it to fucking sound, regardless of whether or not you like never know when is, you're. That gonna, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. You never know when you're going to play that DIY venue
2: that it. Yeah. You know you're lucky they even have a PA. Yeah. So,
0: so, have you guys ever shown up somewhere and they've been like, "That's too much"?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's too it's, much. It's shame. usually like it's it's like on tours when you're you're like not at the big market cities. You're like on like a night in between there. Mm-hmm. You know? And <laughs>
2: that you just like it's just like.
1: like like, what the fuck do you need a four hundred twelve for for one guitarist? And I'm like, and like he's talking to the guy who's in the band before us, and I'm like behind him with like fucking a six twelve, a four fifteen, and a and, and like a two hundred twelve combo. He's like, listen to my signal. I used to do
2: lights for Grand Funk Railroad, okay? Yeah. yeah. I know overkill when I see it.
3: Yeah, like there's... God, I've heard that fucking, just a permutation of that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy's
1: everywhere. That guy's been running sound at the same venue for 20 years, and he's just like, let me tell you about rock and roll. He's like, you don't need that much stuff. There's
3: a book that's this this fucking thick somewhere of stories, Sound Man
1: stories. Oh, yeah. So so one of the fun parts uh, on a recent tour we did where we ran into that guy, um, or that archetype. (laughs) He's um, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, he is everywhere. He is risen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, he's so, in ancient yeah, Sumerian yeah.
2: texts, you know. Yeah,
1: man, he's archetypal, man—the know-it-all sound guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's encoded on fucking like clay tablets in, in Mesopotamia. The grouchy it, wizard of song. So, so my my actual amp tone, because I'm using two tube preamp pedals that are on my pedal board, and then um, basically taking over the power amp section of those two bass amps I was telling you about earlier. You can go up to those bass amps and twiddle all you want with those fucking knobs. It does not change the sound at all because the, they're glorified power amps to me. The actual amplifier is on my pedal board. So I had a sound oh, guy wow. who's just like, "Hey, can you turn down a touch?" And like it was the end of like a uh, it was nearing the end of a tour. I think we were in like Eugene, Oregon, and like we were also touring with another really loud band, Goya. That's like oh yeah, straight, Goya's sort, sort of like <laughs> Electric Wizard, Stoner Doom, great stuff, wonderful yeah. people. Also very loud band but we were dealing with this archetypal sound guy who's like getting everybody to turn down. And I did turn down a touch initially, like just a touch. And then after he asked me a second time, I just keep going back to the to the wall of amps, just turning, <laughs> turning down a volume the knob. It's just like I don't know, man. It's just it's just re- they're really loud amps, but you know it's sounding good out up here. If like if you're okay with it, I'd like to finish my set, right? <laughs> yeah. you're, like, you're like two fucking songs deep at that point, and somebody's like asking you to like get levels and readjust. I'm like, well, we we had an opportunity to sound check, you know, previously.
2: Like but. as a vocalist, though, like as strictly a vocalist, <laughs> like. I am all on board with the, the the front of house person who actually knows what they oh, are yeah. doing. Not not necessarily that um, get, archetype. Get vocals
1: that, like, actually cut through a really loud band. Well, yeah. and so,
2: like, over the years, I have begun to embrace the reduced stage volume uh,
1: idea. Oh, and we, I mean, we have, too, it, despite still having gnarly amounts of gear on stage. Like, I still have turned down a touch, just because at a certain point, like... Okay, so like instead of just hollering, like so for our first few records, I was just glorified shouting. But now I'm right. trying to add some tonality and, and like actually articulate a different m- melodic line than what right. I might be playing. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do that if I'm right if I've, if I've got six hundred tube watts behind me, like guns blazing, uh, everything dimed to fucking. So I've seen I've seen
2: one solution that is really fucking cool. And you're going to have to excuse me if I butcher anything or I call anything the thingy. Remember, I'm the singer guy. Um, so Tony's father-in-law is uh, the guitar player in Eliminator, the, the world-famous ZZ Top tribute. Like, they do the beards, they do everything, they do the fuzzy guitars, the whole, the whole deal. Nice. And because they're old guys... And they want it to sound good, and they have to play a variety of different places. You know, sometimes they have to play at a casino. Sometimes they have to play at a state fair. You know, they play all kinds of different things. They wanted to get that Billy Gibbon, that Billy Gibbons, like, that overdrive that he has from pushing his amp too hard, you know, mm-hmm. and playing the heavy blues on it. Yeah. Um, they wanted to be able to do it, but they wanted to have a little more um, flexibility when it came to different venues. And so what they have is the guitar amp is actually inside a case. It's inside a shell that's like an ISO case that you plug into, and there's a mic inside the case, and you turn your amp up as loud as you want to, and then run the mic directly into the soundboard through like a... a and then you just DL run box. a level on that. Right. And, and
1: the guitar tone's not going to change, just, but your right. volume will. So you can crank the shit out of that
2: thing, but it's not going to flood out the stage with with noise.
1: So a lot of bands, I know, for example, like I think, um, tone, uh, fucking, what's his, fuck his dude's, uh, Ted Falcone from Flipper. Um uh, Poppin oh, wow. flipper apparently yeah. would would take hundred watt heads, and just you know he's playing them through a four twelve combo, but then he just remove half the tubes, and so oh. you're basically playing at fifty watts, but you're driving them. Uh, like that. Uh, now, not being an amp tech, I don't say I don't know if that's like advisable. Yeah, advisable.
3: <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's some like, people like oh, I that's, don't know. That's really yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. That's, yeah, I didn't that's know that awesome. either. and, yeah, it, and cool. he got a really good sound too. Yeah, and it was Gordo's going to yeah. go home and play with that tonight.
1: Yeah, fuck. <laughs> crank, crank out your Flipper records and just see that's how really cool. Yeah. That's pretty um,
2: cool. I've but, also been seeing. Um, I've been seeing some bands. What they will do is they will either face their, they'll face their cabs to the back of the stage, they'll turn them around backwards, or they will play smaller amps and face them towards themselves. Like, you know, the stands that you would like put a, um, like a a Fender DeVille on or something Mm -hmm. like that and have facing out. Instead, they turn those around so that they're facing up at them more like a monitor so they need less to hear themselves.
1: Okay, and then just let front of house. And then let
2: front of house boost it up. See,
1: I, I have uh, and and no slight to uh, to most front of house people, most of whom know exactly what the fuck they're doing and do a great job of it. But oh, but you can't trust all I, of them. I, I I don't have that level of faith that I'm going to be able to pull across. Well, dude, and that's a big, big thing. That's a big yeah. thing with the
2: the the more equipment, the more the more problems. That you're
1: creating the opportunity for, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely more chance for shit to break, but it's also when I pull it off, right, I'm going to sound exactly how I want to sound every night. And the only real challenge is, is like, yeah, getting, getting a vocal that's audible. Right. Like, and for my style of shit, um, where I'm basically just hollering in the first place, like it doesn't need to be like piercing and coming out on top of the. right it's another layer of the environment that you're creating anyway right so so like that's really like i honestly i i I seldom ever quibble with front of house people at all like i'll just be like yeah just give me a touch of like him and the monitor right but other than that like you know like (laughs) you don't want to throw too much
2: i mean you don't want to throw too much at them because i mean you want them to have freedom to mix you well yeah while it's going on. So if you throw too many elements and especially if they aren't familiar with your stuff.
1: If, you know, I, if I can hear a touch of myself in my monitor for my vocal, that's like pretty much all I care about. Have like, you messed with any in- ears at all? No, I think we might be too loud for them, frankly. You should go like, see Gianni, dude. Oh, I, I have some molded plugs. He's, yeah, I know. I oh, he set you about, up with the molded um, plugs? Um, I, have, I, I got my molds done a long time ago. I should probably get some new ones redone with him. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, No, I'm all about like legit... Uh, ear protection. And I always like, you know, like being in a doom band, you have like, you know, every hundredth fan who's just like, man, earplugs, pussies. Fuck like, off, like, dude. Know, like I tell that Tonight one guy, I'm hurts. just like, I'm just like, dude, I want to, like, I would love to keep doing this as long as I'm on two fucking feet. Exactly. You know? like, like, I want to do this for the rest of my yeah, life. Yeah. And
2: being able to hear it is is kind of important. For I'm already past the live fast, die young threshold. Yeah. Dude. Oh yeah. You know, but so, and the leave a good looking corpse one? Yeah, that one's, no, that one's way past. Oh, dude, man. I, I <laughs> gotta idea. tell you, it took some getting used to, but in-ear monitors, uh, like, it su- like when we go to venues that are like what we talked about, the more DIY mm-hmm. venues where it's like you're lucky if there's a PA there, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, not, it's not practical for y- me to use my in-ear monitors. And it sucks because, dude, it, it, it is a game changer. Like once you figure out, well, you're doing like some actual singing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, that's I heard arguable that from, from from bands <laughs> from
1: bands that have more melodic singers. Like um, like I know Chemist, for example. Like I know Phil from Chemist started getting in ears, and it was night and day difference for him being able to still be in this loud, heavy ass doom band, right? And still do that level of vocal melody and harmony. For um, me, it's not yeah. for me. It's not about
2: the melody. It's not about pitch at all. It's about being when it's really good, because I still haven't gotten to the point where every show is really good. Somet- I mean, again, it's another thing that you're like in a lot of ways, unless you have the uh, Wi-Fi mix beamed to like an app on your phone, which I've maybe done three times out of the the, the 20 plus times I've done gigs with, with in-ears. Um you know, it, it, it depends on the on the sound person or whatever. But when it's good, you can get it to sound exactly the way that you that you want to, as far as the mix of the instruments. But you can hear your voice clearly enough, such that you don't have to push as hard, and you uh, save your voice. Like if you're on a tour, the, the main benefit that I've noticed from using in ear monitors isn't about even my performance because. I don't like the way my singing voice sounds already. I like it even less in cl- crystal clarity through a set of in-ear monitors. But, but you can discern when you're pushing it too. Well, hard. what I like to. is I no longer lose my voice on tour. Ah. A combination of using pre-show warm-ups and in-ear monitors has made it so that I have not completely lost my voice on a tour in since I got them. That's awesome. Yeah. So I would say like even for something where you're like pushing – like where you're doing growly, doomy
1: stuff. But I do notice – uh, so I have I've I yet to, like, lose my voice, but I have right. noticed that I'll lose range by the end of a set. Oh, yeah. So, like, something where I might be able to have more variance and kind of go up and down and have a little bit more tonality with it, I, I front-load our sets with those songs. Right. Because if I'm really smart. pushing it, yeah, that's like, smart. like, towards the end of the... Like, I want, like, the dirgy shit where I'm just, like, just hollering. Like, that can be the end of the set. Where right, I'm right. Just, you know, going... Ah! Like, right, right, like, right, right, right. Not having to go you know uh, do any any other sort of pitch work with it but, right but i could see that being beneficial because like i I would love to do some of our more dynamic songs at the end of our sets well and what i notice <laughs> is that
0: these just guys to your metal crowd just go i'm gonna take a lemon tea break yeah
1: <laughs> has anybody and got some hot water and honey out there um <laughs>
2: does anybody have any ocean
1: roots <laughs> throat coat Anybody? I need some yeah. OSHA root. Yeah. It'll go over real well. Yeah. Does
2: anyone have any drops of OSHA root and, what's, and what's some that, warm uh,
1: temperature water? That syrup that you can drink—that's like, like the like Chinese medicine herbal syrup that like people. I haven't have. had that
2: yeah. yet. Yeah. No, I dude, I've tried. I'm the I, bass player guy. I don't know. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried all the elixirs and all that stuff. But it, what has worked the best is vocal warm ups, in ear monitors, and uh, vocal rest. Mm. Like I like to talk, man. Duh! I mean, we all we all know that five thousand hours of fucking podcast, oh, or man. five thousand minutes of podcast. That, this year.
0: that vocal rest day on tour is <laughs> Disneyland to some of us. Like, like me and Ty and Tony will be like, "What's what's going on? What? Oh, it's uh, vocal rest day," and he'll just be like looking around with his his earbuds in, and we're like, "What do we do? Like, what do you guys want to talk about?
2: You know? <laughs>
0: Writing <laughs> notes and shit. Yeah.
3: How do we deal with this? Yeah, be like,
2: wow, I." Man, I don't feel like clawing my eyeballs out Do you guys want to read
0: a book or, you know, relax?
2: So uh, what do you
1: do? (laughs) What's your name? You're in a band? (laughs) Wait, what's your name? That's that's number one, my, like, my number one famous or favorite response to, like, respond to any of, like, my my buddies who are in bands on social media you have to know them like a certain level first but like like you have to be actually your buddies and they know that you're fucking with them but mm-hmm. just like when they post to promote a show or something it's just like you're in a band you're question mark oh, we know all about that man my, my
0: favorite thing to do to your buddy's band after they just got done uh, you, have you, oh, you have to be playing oh I love this you have to do- be doing you have to be playing on the same stage but go up to them after they get done and, hey man nice try
1: Nice try. That's a good one. That's a good one. Logan but dropped one, it one time, one time and it blew up in his face.
0: One time, this guy did not think it was funny. And <laughs> granted, he was like newer to this band and I had known the other guys forever, but he was using my shit and he took it the wrong way. And I
2: was just like, yo, man, I was just making a joke, you know, but he got very mad. He got really mad. But, hey, it just showed how close you guys were. He just wasn't there yet. Yeah. 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 I think he's there now.
1: The other, yeah, yeah. other uh, sets
2: apologized about it and it's fun.
1: Another great one that uh JJ from High Dive is notorious for is like from a set he just watched you play and like you're sweatily bringing shit off stage. Just being like, hey man, what time do y'all go on? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: oh Let's go. I
2: like that one. That's a good one. No, that's a really good one. No, yeah, the 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 vocal rest days, everybody everybody enjoys the Aaron shut the fuck up days, but so it really, it really d- So do you just like enforce it? Like I'm not talking today. Uh, generally what I'll let the guys know is I'll just like, I'll just go, Hey, write it on a whiteboard. <laughs> well, no, I'll go, I'll go my voice just, still, all
0: day. It's just like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> like what I'll do is like before the show, like I generally know when my voice is starting to go. And when it gets into the area of concern, I go, Hey guys, I'm going to have to take, uh, uh, day off from talking after the show tonight. So generally what I will do is is let the guys know ahead of time, and then I'll just go hide out. And I'll pretty much sleep and drink water and write notes, and the guys will help me out by letting other people know, hey, he's resting his voice because he's really hurt. He's not ignoring you or whatever. And I'll, I'll write notes to those guys about whatever essential stuff and then you know now we live in the age of like you got a little notepad in your phone so i'll just yeah, i'll like text text the guys in the van and shit like that I'm it's there.
0: really funny when a new person like at a venue or in the crew meets him and he's like writing stuff down who's that guy oh that's our lead singer he, he doesn't talk <laughs>
4: <laughs> he just gets
1: up there, <laughs> yeah writes yeah. the whole thing. Oh, that's his that off friend. He is simple. That'd be, that'd be pretty fucking avant-garde if you just found a way to handwrite your entire vocal performance like on stage and it still comes off decently as a Didn't man. Ian McKay do something like that? Like he
2: lost his, his voice before a show and like... Like there's there's some story about like Ian McKay going up and at least doing something, just writing him. the phrase
1: yeah, yeah. "I'm screaming at a wall," <laughs> <laughs> but just like completely like lip-sealed. I'm, I'm, I'm screaming at a wall. Red. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a different color pen yeah. for red,
0: and he just writes like a big old. <laughs> <laughs> just like, that's the color I'm seeing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I, so, I'm so that red! that uh that that vocal day off thing is something i'm going to have to look into because i've kind of pigeonholed myself into the the bad position of being the guy that like orchestrates all of our merch and all that shit and gets oh, it all ordered and all that stuff i invariably because we don't take anybody else on tour i'm also the guy running our merch table every right. night so like i'll get off stage covered in sweat and just like fucking exhausted i'm like all right time to go see about the the only
2: chance the only chance you have to do it realistically is if you've got a really long drive coming up the next day. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I don't I'm not going to be pretentious or or rude to no. people. You know, if it's what I'll generally do is if I know like what I'll do is if we're doing like a 12-hour drive or something like that or I know it's going to be 12 hours so the next time I have to interact with anyone outside of the band, I'll take the vocal rest then.
1: That's a good idea, and good idea.
2: then and then what I'll do is like when we're pulling into the town, I'll start warming up my voice, like out of nowhere too, and really fucking. They're like, oh, there he is, you know. <laughs> I've, I've I've had to do that before, but um, but since switching to the monitors and being diligent with warm ups. I haven't really had to take a lot of vocal rest days. Okay. The other thing
1: is, um, I've, I've I've warmed up for a vocal performance like once in my life, and have I ever need, checked and out and the Zen I, of I need, screaming. I've I've heard about it. I need to do it more often. I need to I need to do warm ups basically every time I perform, but I I just come into it. raw. it's like,
2: really good. It, it, it's I it's helpful. I mean, I can tell the difference between the ones that I do and the ones that I don't, and um, and you know we like talking about monitors again something that kind of the I, it's not even so much I would say the vocal fatigue as much as it's the ear the the ear fatigue mm-hmm. because you're on stage and as the show goes on everybody's ears begin to fatigue and they aren't able to hear things as clearly as they did at the beginning during sound check. Mm -hmm. And so they're going and turning their shit up and turning their shit up and turning their shit up. And the only one who's not getting turned up is, is is the vocalist. So what ends up happening is your ears fatigue. You can't hear yourself anymore. And so you push harder in order to hear yourself or like, I guess, feel yourself, like actually feel that you're singing.
1: That's, I mean, that's a huge part of it is I, like most of the time I, I don't need a huge monitor mix because it's in my skull. Right. Like, right, especially right. like if you have good ear protection too, that, that has that effect of like, you know, when, like if you just plug your ears right now and right, now you right, just start right. talking, like you can hear it like as though it's, it's amplified almost. Right. Right. So... I I always have kind of relied on that, but I can totally see that not being the greatest thing for the health of my vocal cords. Well, and 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 it might be
2: different for someone who mostly does like textural vocal style, mm-hmm. like is is more of a vocalist than like a singer. I mean, I can yeah. I mean I consider myself a vocalist because I'm the only singers are Ronnie James Dio and fucking yeah. and, and Rob Halford. Okay, but but a melodic vocalist for the yeah. most part, rock and roll singer. Um, what I, I have a nice pair of earplugs, but I hate using them on stage Hmm. because you're, you don't get as much of that external feedback. You don't get as much of that sound of your voice as you do the, the, like what's nice about a monitor, an external monitor is it's like, it's an amplification of your voice back at you. Mm. You know, something about singing with your ears plugged to me, like keeps from accessing that feedback. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that and, makes sense.
2: And, and monitors help with that. Or like, you know, if you're in a club that doesn't have monitors, running out in the crowd and being out in front of the speakers, so you can actually hear it coming back. And what Gianni told me about is they're starting to develop – uh, in-ear monitors with, that are actually designed to give you a mix of both the feed, the monitor feed, and then also just the ambient sound on stage. Like they ventilate the in-ear so that external noise actually comes in and you can hear the natural sound that we all love, but is making us deaf huh. at an incredible rate. Yeah, Cause let's be honest, there's nothing as good as the sound, the sound of you and your band playing on stage uh, like, together.
1: Especially when you have just an insane amount of gear behind you. And I know. It's like, it's like a physical presence in the room. I know. Like, it feels like, so good. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to be able to hear it later. Uh, right. I, like you hear about certain musicians that like never, never wear earplugs. And I'm like, yeah, Brad
2: Johnson from ACDC, yeah, for
1: example. Yeah. Um, Neil Young. Neil, uh, Neil Young. Um, Fred Cole from Dead Moon.
2: Um, oh, really?
1: Yeah, all deaf.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: all deaf, exactly, (laughs) like like, all deaf.
2: And I have hearing loss (laughs) in my family, you know, and my my hearing sucks. Like the best part, one of the major benefits of doing this podcast is I can sit down and have a conversation with someone, and it comes
1: in through a microphone into a pair of headphones, and I'm like, I can hear everything they're saying with crystal clarity, dude. I'm I'm worrying about that myself, like like I. If there's like any sort of ambient, I'm I'm 34. Oh. Um, There's, if there's ambient noise shit that like, if, if a sound occurs at the same time somebody's saying something to me and I'm not like directly like focusing on them, I'm not going to get it all. And like, and so I worry that like, you know, that'll happen. Like, you're like at the gym or in the street or something, and like somebody says something to you, just like you just didn't catch it, and you oh, just yeah. seem like that aloof motherfucker who just ignores everybody. I know, and, and it's and just I because feel I'm like, bad. I can't hear you. I just can't hear you. And
2: like, I feel bad. It's like, like I, how long have I been fucking deaf, Logan? Pretty much the whole time we've known each other, right?
0: Uh, you have a mixture of deaf slash don't pay attention to shit. Like I'm guys. somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you have the moon cat, uh, like
2: <laughs> the like space cat, yeah.
0: space cat. Like I'm in my own world thing going on with the combo of, I can't hear shit. Right, so, right,
2: right. We, uh, and you met, you've met my wife. Boy. Mm-hmm. My wife is incredibly soft-spoken, incredibly soft-spoken and doesn't like to repeat herself. So it has been, not a major point of contention, but a frequent point of contention <laughs> for her to say something and me to go, huh? Do what, honey? And then she just goes, Never mind. And then I get mad because she never minds me when I'm asking her to repeat herself because I'm fucking deaf. And oh. then we get into a whole thing about that. I'm right.
0: not I'm not allowed to say do what, honey. Anymore.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, you got in trouble <laughs> because for saying do what I am honey.
0: also deaf as fuck. My- but I, I was constantly like when I couldn't hear my wife or when I couldn't hear what she was saying. Every time I do what, honey, and yeah. eventually she was like, you Say that again. I'm like, I'm just gonna start fucking you up. Or she didn't say that, but she was just like, She didn't like it. You're gonna be in Dude. the doghouse for the rest of the day, isn't it? Cut out might... that do-, do what, honey? Shit,
3: isn't it true that like men tend to lose hearing in the top end and women? tend to lose it in the low end as you get older.
2: I don't know. So you mutually that, just that, don't so hear each other. Yeah, yeah. So just just howling taught, into the void. We're
3: doomed to get worse in that regard like it just So fucking so my mom my mom has
2: like like congenital hearing loss like not from like exposure. Now she has
0: been deaf the entire time. Right. My older. mom has <laughs> hearing
2: loss but it's not from it's not from noise exposure. It's just like she has been gradually losing her hearing throughout her entire life. And so over the years, we've had to get louder and louder to accommodate her. So my dad, who has been married to her for, you know, 38 there years, it is. there it is. Has has been getting louder and louder. And anybody who's met my dad knows he's like, he's like, oh, hey how's it going hey everybody that's ha- you know hey uh, did i ever tell you the story about the strangest arrests i ever made bah! like my dad <laughs> talks like that because he's been married to my mom for 38 years and has gradually had to get louder and louder and louder and he was telling me recently that last time they were in germany he's in a restaurant telling a story and in the middle of his story, some little old German man walked up to him and was just like, Will you shut up? I can hear you through the whole goddamn restaurant, you loud
3: American piece of shit.
1: <laughs> 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 he
2: chewed my poor old dad out. Oh, just man. Being a loud guy.
1: I... Yeah, I worry about the hearing loss thing, man. Like my okay, so I ha- I don't I haven't been forbidden from saying, like, do what? Uh come again? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. not forbidden. Uh, I still say it and push your buttons, but you know so, what I'm saying. So my wife flipped it on me by just like she just started answering everything I said with, huh? <laughs> and like <laughs> and like and I would like sincerely start like like re-explaining myself. But she would also do it like like as in, like, I didn't get it. Like, I I don't get it. Right, right, right. And, and also, like, I didn't hear you. So it'd be used interchangeably. So I'd like mention some some weird shit or something. She'd be go, huh? I'd <laughs> be like, and I'd start to explain it again, and then I wouldn't catch on until the second time. She's, huh? <laughs> and, and I'm just like, Aww. oh god damn it! <laughs> just, your, like, like, your wife is oh, very that's funny. That's yeah, a good, good one. one. She got me. Well, we yeah. gotta
2: we gotta explain the do what, honey, thing, because it's like, do. So, Jer- so Jerry, who used to be our rhythm guitar player, uh, Jerry Cass from White Fudge and and earlier iterations of of our band, um, his dad is substantially older than mo- or was because he passed away in his eighties. But he Jerry's dad, he comes from kind of a Catholic family, so his dad was like sixty. When he was conceived and his mom was like a, like a 40-year-old nun or something like that. So he has like old parents, right? So we went to visit his dad and his dad's hearing was totally fucked up. And every and he, hey, it's a real funny talking dude. And he had all these jokes like, ah, I got a Viagra stuck in my throat the other day. And I had a stiff neck for a week. Ah. <laughs> you know, just like old man. But he's like deaf as shit. And whenever someone would say something to him and he couldn't hear him, he would say, hat, ha, do what, honey? And so our impression of Jerry's <laughs> like dad, like, like a lot. A lot. He,
0: he would say that a lot.
2: So our impression <laughs> of Jerry's dad would be, do what, honey? But for people who didn't know Jerry's dad, it just sounds like you're being like really... Like you're just condescending. You're being incredibly <laughs> condescending. So <laughs> Logan is like, anytime you can't hear Becky doing that, do what, honey? Oh, not anymore. Not I, I'm anymore. way better at it You now. can't do that anymore. <laughs> I, I I drop it now and again, I drop it now and again. I can't do it too much. Like like I said, Sarah gets frustrated at having to repeat herself. Speaking of being married, I want to go back to uh, I want to go back to your daughter. Okay. Um, because I so, don't think
0: he's going to give you the consent. <laughs> oh
2: my
1: god, <laughs> that was terrible.
0: <laughs>
2: oh my
1: god.
0: He I mean, was just like asking. Hey, oh,
2: wait! Man. This is the sandbox. We're just throwing ideas around here, right? Oh. Just we were riffing. <laughs> we were riffing. We were jamming. We were making jokes. What? <laughs> no, I, um, it had to be said. I'm sorry. So, so here's what I here's what I wanted to ask you about is so for those who aren't incredibly familiar with you guys, the original iteration
1: was you and Joe. Right, kind of. Um, I formed the band with uh, a guy JJ and Salmi in like 2011, and JJ and I recorded the first record. Um, and JJ had moved to California by the end of that year. Right, and Joe basically he joined the band before that record even came out. So for,
3: and but he if, was if, you were, if, you, if the... you were
1: amongst if you were amongst like the, the like the handful of people who saw like our first like seven to ten shows when JJ was in the band, right. then. You might know that, <laughs> that we had a different drummer right. but for all intents and purposes But uh, for the for the major body of the bulk of, your... of the band, the bulk of our recorded work is all with just myself and Joe. Okay. Yeah. So you guys both
2: had children mm-hmm. within within the last handful of years. Uh-huh. Your kids are pretty close to the same age.
1: Yeah, his his boys uh, a few months older than my daughter.
2: So he left music altogether,
1: right? Like he's not really uh, playing with anybody. You know, I've, I've I've heard that he's actually resurrected one of his old his older doom bands, Wilt. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen him yet, but um, I, for for a minute, that was definitely the story. Like he had um, that was part of why he he wanted to move on from from our band was he was like I I got to focus more time want to focus on, on being on, a parent on, on being a dad. Okay.
2: Yeah. Now you have you've kept the band going this entire time like mm-hmm. the last 2 years since your since your daughter was born. Yep. You have you've decided to uh keep the band going.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And and during all of that how do you keep it working? Like with being a father, especially the father of a toddler, like how, how have these first two years been for you? And I'm asking it's, yeah, totally. in a large part because, you know, I've got, I've got an almost nine month old yeah, yeah. at home. Yeah. And I've got a guitar player who lives in another state and we're getting ready to go into a new decade. And all of us got married pretty much in short order. Yeah. I'm thinking it's probably pretty likely, you know, Ty has had. You're his not going to be the kids. only daddy in the band. I'm not going to be that. the only dad in the band. I'm the second dad. You're in the, the second band. daddy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know kind of about what has been the difference between your two choices. I guess. You know, his choice uh, to get out of it and your choice to stay in it and how you've made it work and what your awareness of. Because you've basically been able to see an imaginary avatar. Like you can. By watching your former partner and bandmate, you can at least to some degree, use your imagination and map on some sort of f- f- fake avatar version of yourself that might've gone the other way and left
1: music. Oh, you mean, yeah. Had I just decided when he decided to leave to just call it a day for the band? Oh, well, no. Or when you had, when you had a child. Yeah. To, or yeah, to leave yeah. music. You know what I mean? So you, I guess, what so is, what have, what have been some of the things around that? that it's been, that uh, I guess there's, it's kind of, it's kind of a multifaceted response. Like uh, probably the first, um, key thing is that, um, and this kind of ties into the other facet of it too, but, um, I've got a very cool, uh, understanding spouse that, um, gets that this is basically my primary creative outlet. And, um, for me, it's, I think that we're all fundamentally creative beings that we're all capable of creating in some capacity and whether or not that's like in some traditionally artistic capacity, like making music or making paintings or acting or whatever else you might think of as being strictly the arts, I think we're all creative and that fundamentally we need to express this creativity. Everybody's got the water. They've all just got different conduits. That's a great way of putting it. Right. And for me, my, my primary artistic outlet is playing music and then doing everything that surrounds it and coming up with the broader whole that is this band, right? Uh, right. This is like kind of been my musical um project it's been my prime it's been my basically my only musical project for the last decade right Uh, i was in another band when we started it but then once i left that i've just solely been focusing on this band so i mean it's it's been close to 10 years since we first played with you it's that you guys would have played with us within like the first couple bands first couple years of us being a band yeah yeah absolutely um so it's like uh it's it's my one creative outlet my spouse understands that and she's also seen me when i'm like in a creative dry spell and just like, you know, it, it's like a, like a very significant part of you, um, kind of goes away. If, I think if you lose your creative outlet or at least for me, that's right. been my experience, you know? Um, so she understands it's something that I kind of am like compelled to do. Right. Um, I guess, uh, you know, um, the, the other side of it is also just like, it's, it's easier. So, I've I've been you know the the principal songwriter for it. Obviously, you know I'm not telling Joe what to play on the drums, or I'm not telling on my right. current bandmates what to play on their respective instruments. I'll kind of guide in a certain way, but like, but you're steering it's been the a, ship. It's kind of been a lot more like you know all the lyrics and and um, it's album your baby. concepts and all the things like that. They're coming from things I'm interested in, and I'm coming up with all the aesthetics and all these things like that. So walking away from from that is. It's like me just deciding to just end this avenue of my creative. You've life got entirely. you've got quite a substantial stake so, in it. So, so it's like like you know if I if I felt like I was playing you know in somebody else's band and like you know and it like through the 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 lens of like turning that that table around you know like if it was a huge time commitment that was requiring touring and stuff and you know what few few hours of free time you had you know uh, when you've got a, a you know a fresh baby at home <laughs> right like fresh you, baby. but you probably don't want to go spend a couple hours of it in, in right. rehearsal so i understand that i saw uh, something uh, recently yeah.
2: where dave mustaine posted it was his it was his son justice's birthday or something like that and he posted something that was like it's like i'd trade every tour to like be there more yeah like you know and now at the same time because of him his son and his, his kids, son has kids. will never his, have to work again,
1: right? Isn't his son like a manager in the, the yeah? He managed Havoc for a bit. Music, yeah. He managed Havoc for a bit. Didn't I, management. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, yeah. That's. I mean, I I don't know if I would take that perspective, but I've all like I'm I'm like our next record is predominantly inspired by. Uh, my my daughter right and like the experience of becoming a dad and relating it to these other esoteric concepts that I also have interest in.
2: So what has but, changed? What I mean, what has changed in terms of the sacrifice that you make uh, you make to your for your partner and for your child, yeah. and in terms of you know the the day to day, week to week,
1: month to month workflow. What's changed? So so we've we've been lucky enough to have space in our basement to rehearse. So like we haven't had that there's not as much strain of like having to go make time for rehearsal when it's just in the basement. And then also like our daughter straight up, like she either like dances upstairs to like the vibrating house while That's we're jamming really cool. or she naps straight through our, <laughs> our <laughs> shed. like, great. like, like, um, but, um, I do just, just making keeping an eye on that flexibility and knowing like what, what your partner needs to do. And that goes both ways. It's not just her all making sure that, sh- that I've got time to continue right you got to support her in whatever she does it's like making, to, yeah like acknowledging what what things she absolutely needs to do to keep her creative flames alive right. and do what the fuck she needs to do to be a fully realized I mean, What are her primary and self-care habits yeah and yeah yeah and uh making sure that we've both got space for that in our lives you know now with with shit like shows and and booking tours and stuff there's definitely a lot more conversations of like Okay, um what's childcare going to look like when I go on tour for right. 2 weeks next next spring? You have to be what's way more like, deliberate about how does, it. How does this fall with your work schedule? Like um, right. is this is this going to even be a time frame that this is even vaguely like something that we can conceive of doing? Have you done um, any touring since your daughter was born? Just that one little like 5-day run uh, right. last fall. Um you know, we end up like facetiming a bunch like right. and uh, this next tour it's supposed to be uh like, you know, a full for us a full tour is like two weeks like that, uh, you know, still, um, but, uh, two uh, weeks is a long time and you got a kid at home. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're, we're looking at ways of maybe like seeing if like on an off date, like, you know, like, the, like my wife flies out or something if right. we Can make that happen, but that might not be feasible either. We, we shall see as far as touring, like we, this will be the heaviest amount of touring we will have done since our, our daughter was born. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll see in that regard, but mostly it's just, it's, Being real vocal about. uh,
2: Are you feeling satisfied? Are you getting, like, are you getting your rocks off? Like, is.
1: (laughs) Like, like musically? Musically. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, man. I mean, so the, like the, the first Denver show or excuse me, we played two shows in Denver uh, the year my daughter was born. One was Chemist's record release show shortly after my daughter was born. And then we got to open for fucking Godflesh, which for me that's so badass. is like <laughs> fucking like Godf- that's fucking awesome. That's that's they're one of my all time favorite bands. And so like like I'm I'm still appreciating that it's a blessing to to get to do this in any capacity, and that I'm getting to do it and play with um, you know some of my musical heroes is. Definitely something that, that yeah. keeps that 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 uh, candle of flame, so to speak. You, um, you've got to you've got to have those little things, like,
2: like I'm sure you get them. This comes. This is a this is a re- recurrent thing and something that we bring up a lot just because we like to hear different people's perspective of it. But we talk uh, uh, on this show about the Alaska thoughts which are the thoughts that are like when it gets so bad that you're like, oh, I just want to throw it all away and run away to Alaska. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or I should go back to college. Or, or I'm just going to disconnect from everything and go live in a shack in the woods. Just the, the runaway and join the circus yeah. line of thinking. Yeah. and, and I, You've got to have those events, those moments, those little things that pop up and keep you in the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like something like an honor, like, like opening for God flesh and having this thing where it like, especially after you have a kid, it becomes a lot more about like trying to make the most of the the little time that you do have and go and really focus more on
1: quality over quantity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's because the, the amount of time that I get to spend like actively creating is is much smaller and i think you'll you've probably experienced this as well right like when you're spending most of your day taking care of your kid um when it you know when bedtime does happen however early you're just fucking spent <laughs> like oh, the, the idea of like sitting down and be like all right let's hammer away on a creative project even if you like so i've been a night owl my entire life and i used to like always spend most of my creative time for, wee we hours of the fucking night banging on you know an acoustic guitar or something like hashing out a riff but, like, that has not been my creative process at all since, since our uh, daughter. Arrived, dude, you know? I can't do anything in the house.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like, I especially now that Ransom's crawling. Like, dude, wait, I told wait you. Wait until he's walking. I, I caught him with a cat turd in his hand. Yeah. Like, you know, this is like the cat turd was a warning. <laughs> it was the universe's way of going this time. This gets worse. A cat turd. <laughs> Next time it'll be a stick of dynamite or poison or what you know. Today, yeah. today one of the cats fucked him up. You know what I, I mean? Like I turned my attention away for a few minutes, and he cornered one of the cats, and she went bow 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 and oh no, and he was screaming, and he was so upset. And Sarah's going, "You have to watch him," and I'm like, "I was, I was sitting right here." So it's like, you know, when he oh, was yeah. when he was a newborn, I could like put him in a sling. And stand at the computer while he slept and like write totally. or or send emails or do they're something. They're immobile. It's like oh yeah, it's easy. Like, I could sit down like like I've been learning guitar like crazy, but now that he can crawl and he's starting to develop his own preferences he and his own to reach out and starts
1: strumming the guitar when you're trying to play it, dude. Right? And yeah.
2: now like I got to get him a guitar now for Christmas because he like. I've created a monster. Okay,
1: I, I have a good Christmas present for you. Okay. So there's a company, I want to say it's called like LOOG, like L-O-O-G, but they make these little tiny guitars for kids where the neck is like maybe that, like an inch inch around, right. you know, a tiny little thing. And they, they string it up with just three strings and it's they're all just the three highest strings on a nylon classical guitar. So it doesn't hurt their fingers when they fret on it and it's got this tiny little neck that their hands can wrap around. It's called Luge. Yeah, but you can get you can get a fucking relatively legit, pretty well-made instrument for a child. For, I think they're like a hundred bucks. Um, Cause I was, way, ta- like, I was talking, I was
2: talking to, that's a really good idea.
1: And they and like, and they actually have tuners that'll keep tune and stuff on it. As opposed to like, yeah, you can like go get like a, like Ike, a if I might, mm. if, yeah. Ike, if you're listening, I might, Ike, if you're listening,
2: I'm sorry. If I don't come get the glow in the dark ukulele, that's fine. Uh,
1: well, that'll work. <laughs> Ukuleles will work too because the similar scale. But that sounds say, yeah. really, that sounds really cool though. Yeah. I'm going to check both They even out. make, they even make electric ones. <laughs> like that's they are really specifically
2: cool. made for, for kids. Yes.
1: Whoa. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah. yeah, they're pretty rad. Because um, I, I mean, I, I, I can't,
2: I can't get anything done at home. Nothing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's like I can, I can maybe get like I try to meditate and write in a journal every morning, and then it's like, all right, let's pick up the guitar. And that's play. like let's the work one. On that's the one time I get to myself. <laughs> right. I try, <laughs> but then it's like it's five o'clock in the morning, and he is wide awake, and he wants to party with Papa, and he wants to get into shit. So I'm like, I have. My my results are mixed as far as being able to get things done. You know, sometimes yeah. I can't. So I, like, the car has become my recording studio. You know, I can usually get in, a, like, a few, I can run through a few cover songs on my guitar once in a while. I like to sing to my son and stuff like that. I can usually get two to three songs out a day, like covers that I want to play or learn. And I can record vocals in my car when it's parked, Um, you know, just on GarageBand when we're demoing stuff. And then I've mentioned a few times on this show, I loop, uh, demos on the amazing Slowdowner app. Uh. And so I'm working on stuff to and from work. Like I'm trying to like find the little places and I can come here to the Nug Nation, but it's like, what am I going to – I mean, if I tell – Those are
1: good workarounds, man. You've, you've come up with more, like, viable options in, in much less time than, than I'm – Like, my shit is I'm just like, uh, I'll write some riffs when, when mom goes out of town with the little one. Oh, God. Like, <laughs> like, well, the, 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 or, like, we'll, we'll – we'll, I mean, we're still practicing in my basement. So it's not like there's a moratorium on playing music in our house. But it's like, like I'm, most of the, like, writing, writing ends up happening. Like, my, my kid will go to bed. And all have to be like, okay, I need to straight up focus on nothing but lyrics for right. like the next hour of making myself do this. Right. Or like shut
2: off the phone, sit down and just like get Or it done. just like
1: the typical like jamming during it like during like a practice where you have a little bit of spare time just fucking around with a riff, right. you know, and then bouncing it off of your your bandmates. Right. That's that's like how I write at this stage. <laughs> we we don't have band practice. Yeah. Tony lives in Chicago. Oh, oh, so yeah. it's just not feasible.
2: And it used to be Monday nights was like Tony and I would do the podcast at three. And then right after the podcast, we would go over to Rocket Space and we would have practice. But now that he's back in Chicago, that's not an option. So the way we've been working on stuff is sending projects back and forth on GarageBand. And so I have to build in those daily, weekly, monthly rituals. There you go. Otherwise.
1: Structure it into your fucking. Dude,
2: otherwise our band goes away yeah like that's i mean uh, the and i have to harass the shit out of these guys to an annoying degree just to keep it alive you know what i mean like and it's like when i and now like saying that out loud and then thinking about how many times i spend half the day wanting to quit and then thinking about how much energy goes into like just like shocking the thing back to life, oh, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean. All day long, it's every day. It's yeah. that back and
3: forth. It's that tug
2: of war between those two.
3: Yeah, I shock it back to life every morning, and then it dies, and then I shock it back to life <laughs> the next <Yeah>. morning.
1: <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. So, so the Alaska moments for me, like, yeah. are like, and I'm, it's probably mainly just because I'm mired in it right now. Is like all of the all of the administrative shit that comes with putting out a new record that has nothing to do with the creative process. So the creative process is the fun part for me. Like, How many times like, have we come back so, to this? So like like I'm having to like fucking try and get this layout done for for the record. And I'm like having to talk to our buddy who's a graphic designer and like then having to talk to the record company and say like, oh, I, gotta, I, I want all this weird like paper stock options and I need to do the following and X, right. Y, and Z. And then this is all just in the back of my mind knowing that I'm like – I haven't fucking even emailed our PR person yet. And like, she's like, ah, she's going to have to go through tons more stuff. And I'm going to have to go and do a ton more stuff. Right. Right. Like, right. With right. all this, like, and then like, you know, trying to like call up labels and be like, Hey, you want to put this out? Hey, you want to put this out? And right. then like, spin some yarn about like why like your music should be important to them when you're just like, just fucking listen to it and tell me if you want to do anything with it. Right. Like,
2: and it like, (laughs) I simultaneous,
1: oh God, we come back to this so fucking much. Pitching music
3: is so much fun. Oh yeah.
1: Dude. Like self-promotion. Oh my God. What what I hate about the marketing, any independent creative person, what I
2: hate about the marketing side of it is it's like, I really want people to like our stuff and when we work really hard on something and we put it out and it doesn't elicit like not like not even a bad response but no response yeah. that is just like so crushing you know what i mean because it's like oh i put so much into this and i just man i want people to like it so bad and then people will be like oh yeah, it's cool yeah like yeah. You know Or maybe, you know, maybe it's not even because your stuff is bad or that they're, I mean, that they're ambivalent to it. They're, like, for any real reason other than the fact that there's, like, so much coming at everybody at any given time. It's like, I have friends who make shit all the time. Amazing shit. And it's just like, I just don't have the time. I'm sorry. I don't have the time to listen to your thing. I don't have the time to watch your thing. And people are all kind of doing that to each other at the same
1: time. And it's just like, everybody's, uh, yeah, like... When you know you should have listened to your buddy's band, like, a month ago. But, like, I just haven't. Dude, for those of you out here
2: listening who are regular listeners, I want you to really pay attention to what, like, a universal this experience is. Uh, It's just, like, the, like, utter disdain for just, like, everything that goes into like
1: doing the business
3: side of yeah. being in a band. Self- we're all there's going. A, there's a structure promoting. to it that you can't get away from.
1: Yeah. You, ha- were, you were, have, have to do it. To it. You have to, you have to, like, I would not be on social media were it not for being in, in a band. Yep. I had well, to, you don't, same.
3: you don't have
2: to do it, but you have to do it. If you want to have the opportunities that will keep you active and in front of audiences, yep. you know, like, if you want to tour and play for audiences and you want other people to listen to your music. Now, on one level, one of my favorite things to do is just play other people's songs for my nine-month-old song at, at, son at home. Yeah. Like, that is amazingly satisfying. Audience of one, just me and acoustic guitar and some songs that I didn't write. It's great. We have a great time. I love it. But if you want to do the part that it's like, you want to take your art and you want other people to hear it, it's like you have to do this part and so the the question becomes how do we make this part
1: enjoyable enjoyable dude really I you mean, know I, like like with all this like, I don't have an answer for that but I will say that there's still something to like the traditional Avenue of like just getting out there and playing and getting to know people who are also right. playing that's we've probably gotten as more as much or more mileage out of that actual like You know, boots on the ground, getting out and playing fucking shows and meeting other bands and like forming relationships with other bands and other people playing music and in the broader music ecosphere. uh, Like that's probably been more valuable than any time toiling over some social media bullshit. At least like, I don't know. I miss touring a lot. I I like, but that's, that's the thing is it's like, I can't, I, I can't say that unless you're a band like fucking shellac. Like you're not going to get a whole lot of mileage out of out of that. You still have to have some sort of social media engagement because like people, that's the only way people are finding out about shows anymore. You know, like like when right. was the last time you saw somebody like like flyer and handbills at a show that wasn't Ethan McCarthy? You know, and like and I I st- like I'll still do it too, but like he's he's one of straight up one of the only dudes, and he like works for a living as a promoter. When he's not doing Primitive Man and any of his myriad other amazing heavy music projects. Right. He's one of the only people I I see out there just physically flying and going to shows and being like, here's a show with a bunch of cool fucking Well, and I'm starting to think
2: that – I'm starting to think that the – I'm starting to think that the value – well, I mean, I'm not starting to think this. I've been thinking it for a long time, and and I'm not alone, is that the actual – like tangible value of the results from those internet platforms are not even one one thousandth what going out and putting a flyer in someone's hand hand
1: is just actually interacting with somebody you know you know learning somebody's name like you see the same person at 15 of the same shows because you're going to the same types of shows right hey come see my band next time maybe you'll like us because we play a lot of the same shit well i'm running i'm running an experiment right now
2: after our conversation last week gordo where, you know, our label cast a really wide net in terms of, of marketing our, our last release, our motion comic and, and, um, and new single. They cast a really wide net. And just on Facebook alone, the reach was something like, like 50,000 people. But I started to notice that none of the likes were coming from people I know I see at shows all the time. Yeah. They weren't coming from the people that are at every show. Maybe a few of them, but for the most part, it was all names of of bogus people, accounts, like probably bogus, bogus accounts. accounts. So that's right?
1: this is I, I I saw initially like when Facebook was first starting to monetize shit, where you could like like pay for um, exposure or whatever, which is inherently already fucked. Right. Um, but. Uh, like I I remember doing that once or twice and throwing like five, 10 bucks at a campaign. And I'd see some like tangible results where it's like, Oh, here's a profile of clearly a metalhead kid. He's got an, I hate God shirt on. And he's like, like, like has, likes all these other bands in common. Okay. Like that actually got me in front of some other people. We've right. since done that in recent years, like tried to like promote the release of a new record. For example, cast a wide net click. For example, anybody who likes black Sabbath, right? You know, right, right, right. Like that's a criteria you can target for. And like, Yeah, you get some results, but 90% of them seem to be from like bot farms that were not actual real profiles. It's just like, it's like somebody like there, there's an entire economy I would imagine of like paying for likes on social media and then just somebody then having legions of bogus fucking accounts that don't correspond to people or or real people with real interests then fulfilling the requirements
2: of that ad campaign. Well, here's, here's another way to look at it. Being on the other side as a user, how many times have you seen an advertisement for an independent band who you can tell bought their
1: their reach? Yeah, not very often. Uh, once, once or twice, and it's usually One, once if, in but it's usually a band that's completely outside of my fucking spectrum of shit that I would be interested in in the first place. Right. That already has like, you know a hundred thousand followers on Facebook and like an, a devoted PR team from their fucking label. Right. Those are the ones that wind up in my feed. And those are the ones that I'm like, when like, what about me made you think that I would like this in any remote right. fucking sensibility? Well, and it's, like,
2: it's the, the discovery effect uh, like, isn't the, the discovery effect isn't there. The yeah. discovery effect. Well, and
1: it's not even putting like, it used to be at least like, at least when I got in front of that kid with like a fucking, I hate God shirt on, or a sleep t-shirt or, you know, name any other like big, like stoner doom band or, or sludge band. Um, at least I was like, I could like count on like throwing a few bucks at something and being put in front of somebody who might actually resonate with what the fuck we were doing. Now it's just like, like the ads that I do see are for bands that like, like, couldn't be further from what I would want to listen to. Yeah. And I would imagine that when I when I cast a few pennies into the void similarly trying to get people to listen to our shit, it's just going to be going in front of like either A, like hundreds of bot farm po- uh, like profiles that don't even correspond to like actual like living humans um, or B, the 10% of actual profiles it gets in front of are like somebody who's just like Listening, like watches the Voice, and wants to see the new developments of High School Musical or some right. shit. You know, like like who's not gonna listen to our shit in the first place? Right. You know, the the experiment that
2: I'm running right now, is is based upon the idea that that I think you get better traction from paying attention to the people who actually already give a shit about you. Absolutely. And so the experiment I'm running is the label I want to say invested something like three hundred euro in casting a wide net for a couple of weeks, right? So what I'm doing is I am casting a small net and I just put 50 bucks just into only promoting the people that are uh, only promoting to the people who already follow us for a week. That's, and yeah. I'm going to see what happens because what I noticed is just how little engagement there was. And to me, it was just like, They weren't paying attention to the most valuable commodity that we have, the most valuable
1: asset that we have. People who already give a shit?
2: The people who already give a shit. Yeah. You know, so we'll see how it turns out. It might not turn out to be anything because, again, you know, they fuck with your reach. And it's – I think about the bands that I've been lifelong fans of, and the bands that I've been lifelong fans of are people that I just discovered. You know, I discovered them in a very real – Tangible, authentic way. I can tell you the story about when I bought chocolate and cheese by Ween for the, it, the first <laughs> time and started a lifelong obsession. I can tell you the story about when I found Rancid Let's Go at Media Play. I can, you know, I can tell stories about all these bands, you know, the, the radio station I heard them on or, or, the, the the person who turned me on to this band or, or something the record like that.
1: cover that you saw in a store that you're just like what cover. the fuck All exactly, right. exactly.
2: giving that a try for ten exactly bucks. Yeah. so <laughs> here's the question for guys like you and me and and guys like Logan because he's married and guys like Gordo because he's married and and for for guys like us who let's be honest we can't go and mix it up in the scene. All that much.
4: Mm-mm.
2: Like I can pretty much go do the shows that I'm playing. Yeah. Or like once in a while, a show that I've just really got to see. How do we stay engaged without totally relying on these platforms? Yeah. How do we make these real connections with people? How do we facilitate these,
1: this factor of independent discovery? I don't know, man. I think for as far as social media is concerned is like when you know who the fuck the people are who are actually coming to your shows is like when they interact with your shit is just actually respond back to them and like engage with them because you've met this person 10 times, you know, a bunch of different shows. Um, But yeah, man, I, I still like, like. I'm. I'm. It's probably just because I'm mired in it right now and don't want to be. But like, I still think that any any chance you can get to just like go out and see your your buddies' band when they come through town or whatever, right. that's like there's like for it get metal you scene, out of your head. For the for the metal scene at least, like it's a pretty like small insular community, you know, like nationwide. And like, I can count on you know. Like the one time a year, my buddy's band's going to tour through. It's going to be fucking great to see that person, right? You know? Like, so I still try and make time for that. But the, you know, it's it's a challenge with the kid and and uh, wife and stuff, you know. But like, still, like those interactions are infinitely more um, meaningful for me. And just getting to see my buddy's bands play live and hand them, you know, ten bucks for a fucking t shirt, yeah. then then like, right? Then uh, that does feel good, then, yeah. Yeah. And 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 for
2: the record, we're all mired in it. Yeah, to it, only by a matter of degree. Yeah, you know, and it's more like the times we get pulled. It like the the times that we get pulled out of the muck, out yeah. of the mire, are the more rare events. Yeah. I think I think we generally fluctuate between being waist deep and nose deep in the mire. Yeah. You know what I mean? For the most part. And then there's those one things that just pull you out for like a few glorious breaths.
1: Yeah. For me, those moments are like getting asked to play cool ass shows with bands that I deeply admire or just getting to go and like play a show with buddies bands and stuff. But honestly, like most of it's, it's the performative shit of getting out there and actually getting into play and perform in front of people that, that galvanizes me. Like there's no amount of time spent promoting our, our next show on Facebook that's Gonna give me one tenth of the, the charge that I'll get from actually just playing that show. Right. I'm still gonna promote that show. By the way, this Saturday at the Hideout, at the Hideout, in the company of Serpents, we'll be at uh, this annual iteration of the Decemberger Fest.
2: I'm I've been hearing Hell a lot yeah. of good things about Decemberger, man. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> what is What is Decemberger Fest?
1: So it's this thing that uh, Dust Presents puts on. Um, they, uh, they do the electric, <laughs> the funeral electric funeral guys. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but they, they just throw a bunch of heavy ass bands on a bill. And then in the middle of it, they have a slider eating contest. <laughs> we played, we played, I think the inaugural year, like four years ago, but, um, it's, it seems like a fun time. That's we, really we, cool. we, were, we were laughing that like, we've, <laughs> like we're, we're like one of the, the, like the two headlining bands like, like, yeah, like 70, uh, 72% of this band is, is vegan or vegetarian. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. Or, or 77%. What is that? I'm like? sure that's right, pretty uh, popular yeah. there
0: now. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of metalheads are into the... Vegan, vegetarian <laughs> shit. Now, so. but
2: a lot of them are into burgers too. There's yeah, so. yeah. a whole
1: lot of them that, that'll mow down a good burger. you I mean, shit. You all hail from Chicago. They've got the. Fucking well, I'm Coom- from here. I'm from yeah. here, but Kuma's? Tony's from Chicago. Okay, so, okay, oh, yeah. So, yeah. okay. Kuma's is awesome. Oh my god, that place ruled. And they have, yeah. they have, they have like those those vegan burger options.
2: That's there. true. They have the uh, the cattle decapitation is a is a vegan. Yeah,
1: burger yeah party, I saw I that think. one. They the one that was on the menu when we went through was they had a converge burger that was like <laughs> all, all vegan stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I think I got the Slater burger it had like the deep fried jalapeno
0: on it i don't remember what i got but i remembered like my favorite bands on there i was like ah, no, those sound gross so they're not gross (laughs) but it just wasn't what what i wanted have you been to uh, the fryer
1: no but before moving on from the gross topics uh toppings like we they they were super kind and like gave us a bunch of like merch and stuff from kumas and like we were the like the band like burger of the month and like, really? But our yes. burger was like, it had like chicken salad on it and shit. And I was just like, "It's <laughs> like that's real cool. Like, uh, like I'm so glad that you guys named this after us. Uh, I'm gonna get the Converge Burger." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that episode of uh, Curb
2: Your Enthusiasm where that's he gets a, gets a sandwich. Dude, yeah, I
3: was on totally. the tip of my tongue too. Dude. Totally. This, this, oh, what is like, it? It's I like whitefish it or Seifeld. something like that. T- yeah. No, yeah,
2: yeah. He's like. The Larry David is whitefish. That's a terrible sandwich. Yeah. He's like nobody likes that. So he's like trying trying to trade with Super Dave.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, know, I know the episode. Yeah. Well, sh- shit. well, shit, man. Um,
2: Grant, it's been really great having you, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on, a, hold on. Got, what?
1: How
0: how many burgers do these motherfuckers eat? Like, oh, in the contest? It, yeah, there Apparently the dude, uh,
1: the dude who's won the last four years isn't entering the competition this year. So he's not. Per- Did apparently he apparently he there's tired. a new opportunity. He's retired. Uh, huh? yeah. He had
2: a bypass surgery or what? Yeah, or like a stomach fissure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> this fucking <laughs> colon ruptured. Hey, <laughs> he's got hemorrhoids. He's got bleeding hemorrhoids and has to shove silver bullets up his ass. I don't know how I know about that, but... <laughs>
4: <laughs> he, he had
2: a beef out of me. He does. <laughs> <laughs> little waxy Co- silver bullets that I got to stick in my episodes, ass. He knew all about it. A couple
0: <laughs> episodes ago, he knew all about
2: it. <laughs> well, uh, Grant, I really appreciate you coming to yeah, talking, to me. thanks for man. having me on. I've, I've, always, I've always really admired you greatly, and I like what you do. And, and uh, you know, I'm always happy to get feedback from a dad who's a little further down the path than I am. And, um, and you know, and it is, you know, we talked about when you're when you're in the mire you mm-hmm. know of the of the of the alaska thoughts when you're really feeling your shittiest like coming here once a week is a big thing that helps sustain me and likewise yeah yeah mm-hmm. it like gordo and i gordo and i go back and forth with each other talking each other off a cliff at least yeah. once a week it's, it goes back it's and forth true. it happens a lot you know, Logan's had to talk me off a lot of cliffs. Tony's had to talk yeah. me off a lot of cliffs, you know. I def I as the band dad, I'm sure you yeah. understand that the, the band dad tends to need to be talked off the cliff a, a disproportionate amount. Definitely
1: happens. And Except, <laughs> it's usually my wife doing the talking.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, Sarah's gotten better about it. I used to joke and I stole this joke from my uncle referring to my aunt, but I I used to tell Sarah, like, you got the bedside manner of Attila the Hun, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, she really has over the years of us being together and the years of supporting each other and the years of growing to understand each other. She has been a really excellent – she's become an excellent source of of support when I go through these things. And, you know, she tends to check my bullshit and and it's great. But – one of the most effective things is coming here and talking with people who are having similar experiences and, and, and may come from different experience, you know, different perspectives, but, you know, we're all, we're all going through it and we're all just trying to bring, show the world something about ourselves, like Mm -hmm. communicate to the world what, what it is that we've got in our head and in our hearts. And, um, and it is always helpful to come here and have a conversation with someone such as yourself.
1: Man. Yeah, well, it, it goes both ways. I appreciate you having me on. You know, and this 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 experience has been one of those those helpful moments. Where Good, I'm like, uh, yeah, like. Making music's cool. Good, yeah, it's it fun. Is cool, <laughs> dude. And this is
0: always cool. I got, I got to apologize for the off-color joke I made. <laughs> I did
3: not feel right about it afterwards. It's just like, what
2: do
0: I? Could, oh, I can so. see the pain <laughs> sorry, on your
3: face. Was, okay. The pain on your face was palpable. Dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, man Dude,
2: you're gonna, you're gonna have oh. that. You're gonna have that thing where you're just like sitting at home, just like, was it that bad? Was it that bad?
1: S- uh, sometimes, that bad? sometimes like, it
0: just happened, and like as soon as I said it, I was like. That was not cool,
2: dude. Dude, I, <laughs> I have said... So I'm sorry to everyone involved. I have said some incredibly... Dude, he's been thinking that the whole episode. I kind of have.
0: Like, I would start paying attention to some other shit, and I was like, remember the really, really mean thing you said a minute ago?
3: <laughs>
2: you're not cool.
3: like you're so. about to say something, and you're like, remember what happened the last time. You yeah, said exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't say things that, anymore. So, uh, yeah, I
2: yeah, know. I know that feeling. I've said quite a few ooh. dumb things on this show, man. But, uh, I think the people that listen to us also understand that, uh, we are just a bunch of fucking dorks who thought we were way cooler 10 years ago and we're sitting around and cutting farts and trying to crack jokes and it's all in good fun. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, Grant, thank you so much for coming on and hanging, uh, let people know where they can find you, uh, where they can find sure. your music and, uh, and yeah, all that good stuff.
1: In the company of serpents on Facebook, uh, on Instagram and Twitter it's ITCOS um just the initials of the band and then our Bandcamp is our primary uh, storefront where you can access all of our shit uh, when's your new record coming out uh, march it's cool out. march then we got a little place. tour coming up after that but more on that soon still got to finalize all those dates That's and badass, get all those shows booked but uh, yeah um, in the company Serp- in the company of serpents doom.bandcamp.com it's where all of our stuff can be found uh and then uh we're also on Spotify for all that jazz if you prefer to cool. not pay the musicians you enjoy cool <laughs> <laughs> ah! boom but man everybody can find
2: everything on there oh it's it's uh. it's still <laughs> only
3: like what like 30% of all recorded material apparently yeah. is it really yeah. the
1: yeah. the ceo is a billionaire and like to crack, like, minimum wage, you have to have, like, something like a fucking million plays oh, a week or some shit. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Yikes.
2: Yeah, yeah you can Anyways. find us on Spotify, too, and every band that we know. Yes. Yeah. Ah. yeah. You can find our latest release that, that I am diligently watching. The Oh, dude. The new... Like, speak, speaking of Alaska Thoughts, nothing... Like, you know... Uh, Gordo, how we've talked before about like nothing will make you sadder than like looking at your analytics over and over and over and over and, oh, over, okay. and over and over and over and over again. Well, Spotify is truly the leader in making musicians feel bad about themselves. Uh, the the feature that I think is is. Most remarkable is that feature that allows you to see in real time. If anybody is listening to you, Mm. I I I haven't clicked on
1: that and I don't think I will.
2: uh, Well, (laughs) anytime you have a new release, if you have the Spotify artists app, anytime you have a new release, it'll put that the very first thing you see when it opens up, it'll tell you the number of streams you've had in the last, like in the last week, it'll tell you like uh, how many followers you've gotten or whatever it is. And then right at the bottom there's like a little waveform that like blinks up and down if someone is listening and it'll be like, in our case, zero people are
1: listening right now. Or like it Right up, now, it zero. Upticks. Right
3: now. Mm. I want, right now, actively, zero.
1: <laughs> but I will say... <laughs> like it, like, it like upticks to one, but only for like five seconds and then just fucking <laughs> right. blips back down. It's just like, couldn't yeah. even make it through the fucking intro. It would
2: be better if it had some sort of like British lady voice that like told you from your pocket what was going on,
1: like like it was like oh someone's listening to your music right out oh, they skipped. I would, I would rather just have the the <laughs> countdown from the Nostromo before it implodes, <laughs> just like like just counting down until the whole ship just fucking blows like apart. the alarm
2: and everything. Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> or there's a gong sound when they skip yeah. your song. It gets like five seconds in and you just hear
3: gong. Yeah,
2: that'd be good. <laughs> too.
3: 45 people in the last two weeks got 20% of the way through a song. <laughs> I know. I know. Average listener
2: time,
1: 30 seconds. Yeah. I, I'm really glad I don't know where those metrics are housed because I don't want to look at them. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, on that cheery
1: note, uh, thanks for <laughs> listening
2: to episode 85 of the motherfucking
1: podcast.
2: Do you do, oh. do it, homies? Oh, yeah. Grant, every week. We give our guest the opportunity to give a one for the homies shout out to a friends band or a project that they that our guest uh, feels could use a little extra love. It can be a friends band. It can be someone who really inspired you. It can be your own shit. Uh, whatever it is, we will put it at the end of the episode so that people have something to listen to when they're deciding what podcast to listen to next.
1: Okay. Um, so for friends bands uh – I'm just going to name my bandmates, other bands that I've, that I've been liking a lot lately. But uh, our drummer JP's in a really cool kind of like shoegazy, doomy, kind of gothy, I don't know, sort of band called Bleakheart. Um that's wonderful um and then uh uh Ben our bassist and lap steel player is in a really cool band called Night wraith. is he still um, in vamana too? is that still going on? no that's he, not, he, it's it it might still be going
2: on. he's not still in it oh okay, okay. um so night wraith, yeah, I yeah. like
0: that band name that's cool It's kind cool. cool. of tight
2: yeah, that's a d and d band name isn't it <laughs>
0: pretty much yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah all right cool well we'll we'll do something from both at the end of the episode uh thanks so much for listening to the show guys we really appreciate it we love the support uh thanks for hanging with us week to week uh join us next week when our guest will be a really cool person (laughs) i'm not even sure who it is i i think i know who it is do you know who it is
0: I thought it was Justin from Axe Slash.
1: That's what I thought because we
0: swapped
2: spots. Oh, that's right, yeah. you guys did. Oh, that's gonna
0: be a fun one. I ran into him after the show at the Bluebird. I was working across the street, and he was like, "Are you gonna be there?" I was like,
2: "Where?" <laughs> dude <laughs> so yeah. that'll be a great one dude J- I've known I've known Justin LaSalle. for like a that long guy time. give, him, give him my guy. best yeah will I do. will for sure he's he's a real sweetheart I'm looking forward to that one so yeah join us for the Christmas Eve episode with uh, Justin LaSelle from Axe Slasher, that one's going to be
1: bitching. Tell him, tell him, uh, I enjoyed hearing his band on uh, Deathgasm when I was watching it on the Joe Bob <laughs> right? Briggs. On the Joe uh, Bob Briggs, fucking uh, dude, he scores uh, the show. weirdest Shit. stuff
2: for that band, man. <laughs> Hell yeah, he's got it, uh, dude. He's he knows how to internet. Yeah, like Justin. Have, like, know, have you seen their new video yet?
1: No, but I I, I, so I saw tight. a guy. I've been watching announce horror movies since I was a kid. Say Axe Slasher. On, on like yeah, on a like on a streaming service for horror movie fans, but nonetheless, it was pretty cool. That's so cool. All right. Well, make sure you tune in next week. Well, not tune
2: in. Make sure you listen to a podcast when the next <laughs> one's published. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much to our guest, Grant Netzorg of In the Company of Serpents. This has been the motherfucking podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Logan. Gordo. And we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Motherfucking Podcast is recorded at the Nug Nation Studios in Denver, Colorado and hosted by Aaron Howell, Tony Lee, Logan O'Connor and occasionally even Ty Blosser of the international power rock combo Motherfucking Ruckus Our producer in the studio is Gordon Ledfoot Our producers in Chicago are Gene Skibbons and Adam Zielinski All music except homie shoutouts and featured artists is written and performed by MF Ruckus and comes from the album The Front Lines of Good Times Volume 1 coming this fall on Rodeo Star Records Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, if you find this podcast valuable or entertaining and you wish to support MF Ruckus further, you can rate, review, share, subscribe, follow us on any of our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. If you really want to help us do what we do, you can go to patreon.com slash MF Ruckus and become a patron at any level. Our patrons get access to exclusive content, early releases, guest list spots, even VIP parties with beer and food, all in exchange for a small monthly contribution. It really does make a difference and allows us to do this podcast, make records, create videos, go on tour, fly Tony back and forth, and all the other stuff we love to do for you guys. Patreon.com slash MF Ruckus. Check it out. Thanks again, guys.